Ladies, gents, welcome back to another episode of the Launch Day Podcast. I'm your host, Dean Svetkoski, a.k.a. Houdin. I've got an absolutely brilliant young lady in the studio today. She goes by the name of Selena Gomez. I mean, Tran, (laughs) Selena Tran, right? But she's dressed today like she is Selena Gomez, believe me. She's dressed to impress today. (laughs) So, Selena, hey, why don't you take it away Everyone in our audience knows who I am and everything about me. Well, not everything. I've still got plenty of stories to share. Mm -hmm. But no one knows who the hell you are, right? So why don't you take it away? Why don't you share a little bit about who Selena is? Yeah, for sure. Thanks for the introduction, Dean. That was really lovely. Um, Selena Gomez is a whole other league, but I'll take that. That's um, very flattering. Um, Who am I? How do I even start? Um... Yeah, I'll give you some context into who I am and all that. And let's let's just pretend that I know nothing about you because I know we've already had some discussions mm-hmm. already, but just pretend like I know nothing about you, mm-hmm. right? So share it with the audience. Okay. Um, so I'm 27. I keep looking at the camera. Yeah, that's fine. Keep going. <laughs> I'm 27. Um, I'm currently in business. Business has been um, a very deep passion of mine. I've grown up around business. My, my parents, my my grandparents, my cousins, my family. My proximity is very much business. But it runs in the family. It runs in the family. It's, a, it's in our blood. But um, even, if, even if some of us weren't in business, we kind of always end up transitioning into business. But I'll get into why later. Um, yeah, so I, we grew up um, very humble beginnings. So my, my parents, immigrant parents, they came from Cambodia, um, I'm half Cambodian and Chinese, half Chinese, um, and yeah, that their story is very um, interesting, and it's one that humbles me. Um, it's also my reason why as to why I do everything I do, um, and yeah, they're just my greatest inspiration, the core of my heart, the forefront of everything I do. So, well, don't leave us hanging, right? You, let's let's dive in deeper, right? So straight like, into straight into my family's yeah, story. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Like that's that's going to be the juicy bit. Yeah, I mean that is the bulk of um, what what makes me me so um yeah so my oh where do I start <laughs> my family um immigrants they came yeah from overseas. so they are both they were both yeah they were both born in Cambodia um I have very big one my mom and my dad's side are, are both big so I have like you know 15 ish cousins on my mom's side 15 ish cousins on my dad's side my dad's one of eight my, my mom's one of six big family Big family, yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, and I'm really lucky because they're all in Australia. Oh, they're all in Sydney. So we're all very tight-knit, which is really nice and really lucky. I could imagine like the parties on weekends, the birthdays, the, uh, you know, all the... Yeah, it's non-stop. Uh, gender reveals. Yeah, <laughs> you know I mean? it's non-stop, especially in this this side of, um, like this era of our lives. Everyone's getting married and having kids, baby showers, gender reveals. Except you. 
He's not doing it. Yeah, absolutely. Very focused. I right feel now. like you know the, the, this family of yours is going to grow so big. You might have to hire out stadiums to actually hold events. <laughs> yeah, or, you know, that would be funny. It would be. Yeah. Um, yeah. So uh, start with my my mom's side. I don't even know where to start. To be honest, there's just, there's so much that they've been through. Um, well, born you've in, got time. So like, yeah. So believe okay. it. Go yeah, run straight through it. Okay. So born in Cambodia, all of them. Um, there was a they they both went through the Cambodian genocide era, 1975. Okay. Um, yeah. So on, I'll start actually. I'll start with my dad's side. My my dad's father who's my grandfather, who, whom I never met. Um, he was originally from China and they lived in like a poorer province. And he, it was really strange because I think it was 15 years old that he realized that this isn't kind, this isn't the lifestyle that I want to live out. Um, so That's he ended up, here, right? this is my yeah. dad's dad. So my grandfather. Uh-huh, grandfather. Yeah. yeah. Gotcha. Um, and so he ended up leaving his family because he couldn't convince them to go with him. I mean, who would follow a 15-year-old wanting to flee the province? Yeah, yeah. So he left um, and caught a... He ran on a random boat and that took him to Cambodia. And that's where he met my grandmother and had my father and all of my other aunties and uncles. And they built a life in Cambodia. So they started like a metal production uh, biz- that business. That been challenging too, right? Like the language barrier. Yeah, exactly. Just come from China, now you're in Cambodia. Yeah, yeah. 15. 15 with nothing, no knowledge, no no connection, no money. Um, yeah. So that's that's a whole um, inspiration piece in itself. But without getting too much into um, what happened from then till, till my father, because I only really know the extent of my father's story. Um, yeah, they, they became you know, comfortable in Cambodia. They had a metal production or metal welding business um, and they had just bought a house. And then, um, yeah, it was, um, he was quite an, he was intuitive man. So he found, he realized that with all the protesting in the city and everything, um, war was probably going to break out. So he was like, you know, we need to run from Cambodia and leave everything behind and if it's okay if it's all good we can always come back but we need to leave now and Mm. i think having to leave what you know twice takes a lot of strength Mm. a lot of um conviction in your intuition and a lot of desire for safety and wanting more Mm. and i think that's incredible because you know, like you can't, you can't really, this is the thing that I'll get into more. You can't aspire to be what you can't see. And he, he doesn't have access to the, the outside world. So like, how did, how did he know to keep wanting more or, or where to run? You know, it's just mm-hmm. so inspirational to me, but um, yeah, obviously with any normal person would be like, you're crazy. Like nothing has happened yet. As if you would want to leave everything that we've worked on behind and all of our, our house that we just built, we have like eight, seven children at that time like how how can you just leave everything behind so my mm. my grandma was refusing to to leave um and then she went into the markets one day and then she was like oh my gosh it's so eerily quiet like it just didn't feel normal it didn't feel right so she came back and she's like let's pack our things and run so they ran crossed little river into the thailand borders mm. and um they stayed in the camp there for a while so they actually ended up escaping 
one of the most brutal wars to exist, the Pol Pot invasion and Cambodian genocide. They, they escaped all of that. And this was before it even started happening? Before it started, yeah, yeah. just before it started. Um, so they Yeah, right? And they, they stayed in the camp for, I don't know how many years, a couple of years um, until the Australian government generously brought them over to um, Sydney. But there was obviously a process involved there. I think you needed to know a little bit of English. You needed to apply for it. They didn't take everybody that applied. So my dad's family was just one of very few lucky families that mm. came to Sydney. So that's my dad's side of the story. <clears throat> my insane. mom. I love it. That's insane. But listen to my mom's story, right? I'm, I'm, I'm at the edge of my seat. <laughs> my mom didn't escape before right. the whole war broke out. Yeah, she, they weren't as, yeah, they just didn't, they missed the whole, I mean, it's it's hard to think in that way, you know, like, like let's just leave everything behind in the off chance that something's about to break out. But yeah, so unfortunately, um, my, my mom's family's house was invaded. Oops, sorry. <laughs> my mom's family's house was invaded. Um, the kids were taken away, separated by age group. My grandma lost her children for a few years, but she didn't know what was going on with them, so she probably just assumed the worst. Mm. Um, they they used them all as slaves, farmers, um, indoctrinated, brainwashed. Pol Pot's your father, you know. Um, you got to follow our lead now. This is your life now, and yeah, this whole brainwashing situation. My mum was one of those children, mm. um, and one of the brainwashed children. Yeah, yeah, really, yeah. Now the story is getting juicy. Yeah, the the brainwashing part. Yeah, yeah. It's just so it's so it's so beyond me how someone like Pol Pot is able to, you know. I mean, his his mission was obviously strong enough, but it's so crazy how much it affected Cambodia. And even to this day, I know that there is a lot of trauma and baggage from that whole incident back mm. in 1975. Um, yeah, so. Just through my mum's story, because my uncle and aunties, they all have their own stories of what they lived through as well. Mm. And I can talk, you know, for days about what they went through. But just on my mum's front, it was hard because just on the survival side of things, they didn't feed them enough. Um, they didn't feed them enough food. Mm. It was rice, water, salt. And if they, if they didn't look for other means to eat, like digging out, the root of a tree and like boiling it and, and eating it or like trying to steal the crops when the sun's down, um, they would die of starvation. It wasn't mm. enough food. And yeah. mal- most of them were malnourished. And then um, if the soldiers catch you stealing crops and things like that, then they'll shoot you. Yeah. So it's just this constant loop of anxiety of am I going to die? Um, mm. Just survival, right? And it's such a... It's such a basic need, food. Like you could die from food, you could die from the soldier killing you. Um, it's just, yeah, it was a whole situation. And um, they all went individually went through their own story. Um, but yeah, so not knowing what your future is going to be like, not knowing what the soldiers are going to do to you, not knowing what tomorrow is going to look like for you, seeing people get shot in the distance, having to escape and steal food just to survive. I feel like so it's just inevitable that so much trauma would come out of living like that. Mm-hmm. Just the uncertainty piece as well. Um, anyway, long story short, 
Um, they what happened? They managed to yeah, they managed to go into the Thailand camp, the refugee camp as well. Um, but there were like two borders that they had to cross, and within each border was like a, almost like a death zone. Really? Yeah. Um, my uncle, my yeah, my uncle had to. Like he he had to learn the routes as to how to get there, study the route, then go back and get like one person throughout a time, and then each time he would be risking his life. So he he risked his life going back and forth how multiple many times. times. There was there was my great grandfather, my grandma, and all of his siblings. My mum as one of them. So six, seven, eight, eight times, nine times, and I'm sure he had to go back and forth more times because at one point they were kind of stuck, and. He had to go back and forth to buy stock and sell it, sell it enough so that maybe they can bribe the soldiers to let them through as well. Yeah, um, wow. And yeah. Like, can, we, can we just take a, a moment here just to take that in, right? So your uncle, I like. Yeah. I know he's a hero. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, yeah. this, this man deserves a medal. Yeah. Um, you know, it's eight, nine people he had to take through one at a time. In yeah. What was you know effectively labeled as a death zone. Like, uh, like, I don't know if you can see the hair on my arms, like, but it's sticking up. Like, I feel like Einstein's just been this yeah. electricity right now. That's, I can feel it running through my body. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's, it's so crazy to me. But it also shows so much. And, and that's why I'm so rooted in family and, and how important it is to have people that you can confide in and people that you love around you because it's, it's just, like, if you have, if you're lucky enough to have people around you that you can say with like that you love with your heart you will go through you will go through anything for them and I think my uncle was a very good testament of that like it doesn't matter how many times he had to cross that death zone he did it because that was the only way um and if it wasn't him then who so yeah. um yeah it was amazing and and everybody survived I feel like we're gonna get your uncle in here yeah, yeah, he needs to be in here. My whole family <laughs> needs to be in here. You know, like next, yeah, the next follow up podcast. Yeah, you know what I mean? for sure. We'll it, definitely he, get some press for that too, right? His story is amazing. My mum, my dad, like everybody's story is. There's so much substance to them. Um, I feel like there's a documentary. Be, yeah, documentary to be made here. Yeah, but yeah. I, I think their story should be told as well. Like it shouldn't shouldn't just be internal. I've got some contacts with funding. We'll, we'll explore this. <laughs> oh, thanks. We'll explore this. That'd yeah. be a great story. I think a lot of people would be able to relate to and resonate with. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, re honestly, uh, yeah, it just kind of blows my mind thinking about it. <clears throat> you know, and and you know, in that same token, I, I do feel like I share a lot of those same values that your uncle has. Like I'm always like a fight to the death kind of a guy if it, if it means that I have to risk myself before others and yeah. before family then I will I mean that's what we live for at the end of the day right mm. yeah I mean it's not just about like what's the best thing for us or for me it's what's the best thing for me and the people that I love and everybody yeah. else ex external of that like the contribution aspect and you know what I, I always say this as well and it's it's you know I'm sure there's going to be a lot of people that disagree but I always say that when there's nothing else left what do you have left? And mm. that's that's family. Mm. If everything was taken yeah. from you, everything, we, we, there was famine, war, you know, like basically what we've described already, right? You know, who's, who's there in your corner? Mm. Who do you have left? Mm. And it's family. It's so true. You know? So, so true. But the thing that I've realized growing up is, because I've always held so much pride to my family, um, 
But the the thing that I've realized is not everybody is, you know, lucky enough to be born in the perfect family. It's it's all luck. You know, it's not like I worked hard to get the family that I have today. I was born into it. And um, it's all perspective. Um, and, yeah, it's it's just luck. And so I feel like often people judge people based on what they have, what their family dynamic is, um, they, how they treat people, how their family treats people. Like, it's, it's always nice. Everybody knows what a lovely family looks like. But not everybody has a lovely, like one of those, you know, picture perfect families. It's it's luck being born into it, um, and that luck for me, realizing that it's not something that I can take for granted. It was a hundred percent. I was just so lucky to be born into this world with my family, mm. even though it was humble beginnings. Even though they've been through a lot, a lot of trauma, a lot of, um, you know, the whole growing up with immigrant parents in, in Australia is, is a whole nother conversation. Um, there's a lot of challenges in that front as well, but for for like just a zooming out, being born into a family where I can say my mum and dad, you know, love me and I love them and I have an amazing brother and cousins, like that's, I'm just lucky. And yeah, it's it's one of the things that I'm most grateful for. If anything, the most grateful thing that I am, that I have, the most that didn't make any sense. The gr- the most gratitude that I have, if I had to choose one thing, it would be my family. Mm. And I completely agree with what you're saying in regards to like, at the end of the day, what do we have? If not ourselves, it's our family. That's right. Yeah. Like, that's the same for me too, right? I'm always, the, the loyalty that I have to, especially my parents as well, mm. um, you know, like, and they, I would say that it was a bit different for me growing up because I grew up eating spaghetti on toast yeah. for dinner. You know what I mean? Mm. So I, I don't, I can't say I grew up in a family that was well off yeah. uh, or had the budget, especially my mother. Yeah. So she went through a divorce, um, you know, and, and had through, so me and my two older sisters. And now she's, she's with, uh, you know, stepdad now and they've got, another two sons, right? Mm. So there's a whole kettle of fish there. There's a whole discussion there. But um, I think the the main thing, like I, you'd probably be really surprised. Growing up, I spent a lot of time volunteering. Mm. I spent a lot of time doing great things for the community, whether it be the homeless, making food for the homeless, whether it be, um, you know, uh, breast cancer awareness days and, and events and things like that, whether it be emceeing or recording or, you know, providing a flyer, assisting in any way that I can. Mm-hmm. Like I I actually spend more time volunteering during high school than I actually spend doing school. So, I love that. That's you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And that's been a really big part of my life for the longest time. But then on the flip side as well, whilst I was winning Australia Day Awards for volunteering – I was also in that same year getting arrested and taken to a cop shop. Yeah. Yeah? So there was two completely different sides to my life and I, you know, I I had a choice to make. I Mm. I could choose either way. But, uh, you know, regardless of the good and the bad, I've always known, even though my mother has been really, really hard on me, she has always been there. Mm. She's been, you know, whilst some conversations can be confronting, She's always been in my corner and, and therefore what she feels is best for me. And so, and that's something I can't, like, I just can't give that away. You know, I can't let that go. 
And I think people that are out there, you know, you, you can agree or disagree, whatever you like. I think a lot of people just lack the maturity to respect and appreciate what their parents have done. So there's a lot of people out there that kind of separate away from their parents mm. and blame them for all these mm. things in their life. It's and the easier thing to do. Yeah. See, I love that. Thank you very much. It is easier to blame someone else mm -hmm. than just accept the mm -hmm. facts and just keep moving forward. Yeah. And you know why? I think it's like when, when you take a moment to reflect on yourself and the things that you could have done better in, for a lot of people that's confronting and it's hard and mm. it's it's only natural to want to avoid that confrontation within yourself. Like I wasn't actually good enough in that area. And so the easy the next easiest thing to do is to blame others or reflect or be like, that's the reason why I'm like this. Mm. It's just really sad because it's that doesn't elicit any change. Yes. Nothing becomes better out of that. That's right. Yeah. And even for me, like you know, all of our listeners at home would know, but I've I've been through a shit ton. Yeah. You know, these last twenty four months. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, one thing after the other, whether it be relationship, whether it be health. Uh -huh. I've been through so much. And I used to, I'm not going to lie, I used to sit there, especially last year, going through and processing everything that had happened. I mm -hmm. used to blame every other person except for myself. Mm. For a good maybe three, four months, I was like, no, nah, I'm not the problem. And like, whilst that was for the most part true, I actually sat down and I spent some time reflecting and I said to myself, how could I have done better? Mm -hmm. And I think that's the important part there is, is saying, you know, how can I just say, you know what, I have to accept these circumstances because these circumstances are what's presented. This, these circumstances I can't avoid. Yeah. And so and then I have to ask myself, and I love this, you know, I've got a mentor of mine. I talk about him a lot on this podcast. And I've actually, I think I've mentioned this as well, is that he, he says you have to pick between, so in, in a business sense, but pick between ego and money, but you can't have both. Mm-hmm. It's, but it's, there's no wrong answer. Sometimes you want ego and you don't care about the money. Sometimes you want the money, so you just have to shut the fuck up and let your ego go. Mm -hmm. Now, I take that same principle and I sort of apply that to the circumstances presented to you in life as well. And the only thing that, that I can really think of that's really helped me through is saying, do I want to be right about what my opinion is mm. or do I want to or, or is the outcome that I want you know, what, what am I sacrificing at the end of the day? Mm -hmm. Do I still want a relationship with this person? You know, what's the, what's the choice that you make there? And it's a lot of the time it has to do with ego. You have to be right. You, you can't be wrong. And I think the sooner a lot of people let that go, whether it be love and relationships, whether it be their, their family and their parents, I think the sooner a lot of people let that go and just build that maturity to have those conversations and have hard conversations, right? Yeah. And not be afraid of them. Mm. I think that's that's mm -hmm. kind of when people start seeing a lot more peace and clarity in their life. I 100% agree with that. And it's it's like when you have when you have full clarity as to what's important to you. For example, if it be your relationship with your family, and this actually only happened recently to me, this breakthrough as well, is if you have full clarity as to the kind of relationship you want to have with your parents, um, and that encompassing understanding their roots and where they came from. Their upbringing is not the same as yours. They can only do the best that of, of their knowledge on how to be a, a good parent. Um, the communication aspect is so important. It's like 
I think that the conflict between especially immigrant parents that wasn't born and raised in the same place as I was, there's always conflict because there's a different culture. There's a culture clash. Um, there's a generational clash, um, especially with Asian culture. It's um, my parents are quite traditional and I, I would assume a lot of people with immigrant parents can relate to this as well. It's navigating the difference between growing up privileged in Australia versus going through the, the Cambodian genocide wall, coming to Australia with no money and no connection and not knowing how to communicate in the same language. It's mm. huge contrast. So you would imagine that my upbringing is just like finding the, the balance between pleasing my parents and operating the same way as everybody else in, from Australia. Um, but that conflict usually... Your relationship with the parents is determined by how well you handle these these clashes and these conflicts. And a lot of us is like, you know, there's childhood traumas. You know, my, my parents were so strict. I couldn't go to sleepovers. I couldn't date this person. Uh, I had to get straight A's, either become a doctor or a lawyer or um, become really, really, really successful in some, some way. But it's – and then not being able to – like not feeling like you're good enough all the time because there's always better that usually is what causes the the rift between parents that wasn't raised the same way from immigrant immigrant parents um and then there's always two choices there's you know we move out and our connection with our family is not as tight because they're just not the same people and we don't understand each other or learn and understand where they came from understand that everything that they do, their execution as a parent is from love, their version of love. Mm. What they understand is the right thing to do. Everybody only gets one shot at being parents. It's not like you get a practice round. Um, and just knowing that whether that's something that's painful that they said to you or, or they're not you know, giving you words of affirmation or physical touch or they're not um, showing you affection in the way that you need growing up, the trauma that comes from that, whatever it is, it's just coming from a place of love. And I think that if you can break through that understanding, like understanding that everything they do is just they want the best for, for me. Amen. Regardless of whether it was good parenting or not, that is so um, crucial to understanding how to communicate to your parents. And Amen. so so crucial to how what kind of relationship you get to have with your parents. You can either flee from a very difficult conversation with them or when they say something that triggers you, you just like, see, this is what I mean. Like, this is why I don't want to be around you. Or you could you could sit there and not fight it, but be like... Put in the fucking work. Exactly. French, but this is the challenge, right? Exactly. I'm, like, I'm sitting there and I've been like literally on the edge of my seat to say this this entire time. Yeah. Talking, <laughs> is that people lack the ability and the discipline to put in the fucking work. I 100% agree with that. It's hard work. It's it challenging. It's painful. It, it hurts is. to speak to your mom or a dad like, dad, this is like, this is not right. And this is why it's not right. This is what I need. And I understand where you're coming from, but we need to, communicating that we need to learn. Oh, we you're need good. to. Don't worry about that. I'm getting, I'm getting so <laughs> into it. <laughs> She's getting so passionate about this topic. She's going to break all the equipment in here. <laughs> right. Um, but yeah, like, communicating what you if it, if you know that you want a good relationship out of this it becomes your responsibility to execute 
It's the whole thing where like, doesn't matter what your intent is. My intent could be, I love my family. I want to do everything for my family. But if my actions and my communication style is not in line with that, it doesn't matter what my intent is. No one can see what my intent is, but myself and how I execute it. So yeah, I, I had a very difficult conversation with my father last week and it was just, it was triggering me. And in that moment, I had two options. I could just leave the conversation and then, you know, dwell on it and be like, it's just, you know, my parents aren't just, they're just not the kind of people that I can speak to about this kind of thing. Or I could sit there and explain to them the reason why it's really important that the three of us, the four of us, as the five of us as a family um, think in this way or communicate in this way is because we're all moving in life. Like, I'm moving in this direction, you're moving in this direction. Mum and Dad, you, you're about to retire. So we're all in different stages of our lives. So there's bound to be conflict. There's bound to be different interests in conversation. And usually that would result in distance in our connection. And then that's what makes the relationship fall apart. But if, we're, if, I'm, if I'm aware of it, if I'm the only one aware of it, it becomes my responsibility to hold on to how do we keep this connection. And it's always going to be through communication and how much we choose to understand each other and vice versa. And it's up to me to communicate the importance of that. And if I can effectively communicate that, then I'm 100% in line with my intentions, which is when my intentions matter. Absolutely. Yeah. So I completely agree with everything you're saying. Like, and I love that we're in line with that because I just think that it's so important. And not just with family. Compassion and understanding is two of the, mo the two traits that I think that everybody should have as a, as a human being, whether you care about it or not. If it's not with your family, with your friends, with your spouse, with your business partners, your staff, like if you can come from a place of compassion, conviction and clarity into, as to your values and what is good for everybody, um, the compassion component will pull you through any challenge. And I feel like, so for me and in my family, I feel like, I'm the I'm the mediator. Yeah, high so five. I know <laughs> I I know everybody's secrets, and then my mum would be like, "What's happening with Laura?" You know, da -da -da, and I'm like, "I don't know what's going on with Laura." But Laura's told me the whole story. Mm -hmm. But I know it's not my place to say. Mm -hmm. So I don't I don't share the secrets, right? And then I'll be at like I was even last weekend. I was uh, I went to to my mum's house. I took my daughters. It was really good. Um, you know, grandpa was making some sausages on the fire. Like, you know, they had a really good time. Yeah. Let me tell you, we, by the way, we smoked out the whole street. Everyone thought there was a bushfire because <laughs> oh it looked like it was, you know, 6 a.m. fog in the street. That's how. <laughs> like, what's going it was on? In the middle of the evening, right? It yeah. just covered. Um, you know, yeah, <laughs> it was really, really fun. We had a good time. But even my, my brother, because we had baked these potatoes in, in the fire, okay. wrapped them up in the foil, yeah. put them in. Yeah. And then my mum comes around into the kitchen and she's like, oh, where's these potatoes that you're talking about? My younger brother, because uh, it's a big family, right? So, uh, you know, my youngest brother, if I recall correctly, I think he's like 10 or 11. Okay. Um, and my eldest sister is like 36. Okay. Yeah. Big age range. Yeah. 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 Big, big age gap, right? So my two younger brothers are to my stepdad. Mm -hmm. to my two older sisters are to my biological dad. And so my mum walks in asking about where these potatoes are. My younger brother, Hamish, who's about to, about to turn 17, actually, turns around and says, Mum, you have eyes, don't you? They're right here. 
And so you could just tell, like, just even by the attitude, like, that he was giving her, like, oh, you know what, you, you don't have eyes or something, you know, it's being really condescending in that way. And, um, and it was really, <laughs> it was funny um, because I pulled him into line straight away. I went, hey, Mish, I'm like, cut that shit out, bro. Mm-hmm. I said, like, you don't have to say it that way. I said, why don't you try being more respectful? And then he's like, he's sitting there like, oh, what do you mean? And I'm like, well, how about, and like, even my dad jumped in and he goes, what's wrong with what he said? Right. And I'm like, I'm sitting there and I'm like, uh, hello. And I'm like, how about next time when mum is looking for something, instead of saying, oh, don't you have a pair of eyes? Uh, you know, they're right here. Why don't you say, hey, mum, they're right here on the bench without all the extra condescending attitude. Yeah. And then my dad's just gone, actually, you know what? Yeah, good point. You're right. Yeah. You know? And then and that's what I mean. Like, I feel like I'm the mediator sometimes. Mm-hmm. Because, actually, pretty much all the time. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? Because yeah. I'm like, I'm trying to keep the balance in the yeah. family. Uh, I've got my own bloody shit to, to keep in balance. But, you know, I, I find myself taking on that responsibility too. Yeah, it's so important. Yeah, yeah. It's absolutely. so important. Because that whole, it's such a small scenario, right? But it would change the way that you guys communicate moving forward. And that's yeah. not. That's not small. That's that's significant for yeah. your dynamic. So, yeah, that's really cool. Every that's every family needs a mediator. That's it. <laughs> Sometimes they need external ones, and they pay for them. In <laughs> my case, I'm the guy. You're the guy. You start charging. Yeah, two hundred bucks. The family consultant. That's right. That's exactly right. Uh, it's too good. Well, look, Selena. You know, we, we've we've dived into your past, or not your past, but you know, your family's history and where you sort of come from. But what about your history? So, so yeah, that, that was all a little bit of context as to, what, did you say my history? Yeah. That's, that's your family's yeah, history. Yeah, that's my family's, yeah. So that, I want to know your history. Yeah, so that, that's a bit of context. So we don't have to get into socks my... and undies. I don't need to know where you were born or anything like that. But I was you doing know. it now. <laughs> you know? um, yeah, growing up, I, I was just, you know, normal, normal gal. Um, I went to Hill's Grandma. Shout out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, very, very lucky to go to Hills Grandma. My, my, my brother and I started at a, a government-funded school, um, but the, the school was not well run. The teachers were a little bit um, negligent. Uh, bit. I can – let me just say I'm going through this situation right now. Okay, cool. I, I've had to put my kids on a wait list for a private school. But yeah, continue, so that's exactly I, – I, I can relate to that. Yeah. Like my – so, we, you know, last year we went through a separation, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, divorce, whatever you want to call it, ex-fiance. And it was a big, massive change for my two daughters, especially my yeah. oldest one, yeah. being in school. And like last year – last year was – sort of okay but she lacked having the support from the school for her emotional needs and Mm -hmm. and explosions that she was having ended up having to go to the school all the time but this year you know you're trying to like maintain consistency like you know kids are very resilient don't get me wrong Mm -hmm. but they also need consistency yeah um and if they don't have her jesus christ it gets a real it's really hard to handle yeah she's had her teacher changed four times this year oh my god she's had a different teacher four times this year Mm. Um, and there were a couple of incidents involving, I won't say it publicly, but there were some incidents involving the principal, the deputy principal, um, you know, you name it. Like, and, and there were things where, let's just say that the information that they shared hindered a certain thing that was taking place at the time. Mm. Uh, and they, they actually outright lied about the circumstances wow. surrounding it. 
So, and it's like, and the thing was, is that you, like, I'm not speculating that they lied. I'm saying like they lied because they lied about something happening, but I was there and had witnesses what wow. happened. Okay. I won't, like I said, I won't go into too much yeah. detail, but you know, for, for the yeah, school no. principal to lie about no, that. No, that's horrible. Even though I'm like, I saw it from my own eyes and I had a witness. That's horrible. I'd actually had four witnesses. That's. And I'm like, oh, you know, I'm so done. The The part that's kind of drawing the line for me is my youngest daughter, Miller. She starts kindy next year. She's been going to the kindy program all year, every Thursday. And now it's come down to kindy orientation, enrollment, all of that stuff for the actual school. Mm-hmm. And the school's turned around and said, even though she has an older sibling in the school, they've turned around and said, oh, well, you no longer live in the catchment zone. You live like 20 meters outside of it. Mm-hmm. And so we're going to deny your application for her enrollment. So she spent the whole year getting ready to go to this school. She even did a kindy program at the school. And then now it came around to enrollment time because I've moved house. Oh, no, sorry, we can't accept her. And I'm oh like, do you realise what's going on in their lives right now? You know, yeah. to, to, to the extent and severity of their emotional needs. And you want to separate them. You want her to go to a different school and her older sister here. And if it's not two different schools, you want her older sister to then move schools and leave all of her friends behind. I said, do you realize, you know, like the difficult situation you're putting me in to, to provide emotional support to my children? They didn't care. Oh, I'm really sorry to hear that, Dean, but you're, you're not the only parent that has those issues. Is that, someone that a, is that something a concerned parent really wants to hear? No, no it's not. No. Because and remember, I think I told you this earlier, when it comes to my family, especially my kids, I'm fight or flight. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, More fight than flight. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? So I, I fight to the to the death for these kids. And so for someone to put them in a very jeopardizing position, I'm just like, nah, you know what? Fuck this. I'm not into it anymore. Yeah. Private school. I don't care if there's a wait list. If I have to wait two, three, four years, we're going to a private school. You know? Yeah. Good move. Sorry. You were saying. No, you no. touched that, on a really sensitive topic. Yeah. Right? No. I, that was, thank you for sharing. That's, it's, it's really, it's um really because I'm I'm not a parent so hearing hearing the emotional side of what being a father would be like in a situation like that is um yeah it's really I don't even know the word for it not it, yeah it's it's yeah I don't there's no word I was going to say insightful but that's very that doesn't even do the word justice but thank you for sharing no for sure um yeah that's horrible that situation is really really annoying it is but similar, similarly to, to my experience, except I was uh, the, the child in, in the story. So my brother and I were at a government school, wasn't run well. Um, my brother and I actually had the same, we're three years apart, but we had the same teacher and she was um, a bit racist. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, the, the school was very, we were pretty much the only Asians there um, and she was racist. I'm just going to blatantly say she was racist. And my brother and I had a very similar experience with her. She... Um, for example, my brother needed to go to the bathroom. She, would, she wouldn't let him go, but she'd let other kids go. Uh, as a result of that, he had an incident and then it, it um, uh, created a, a – he was a victim of bullying um, from that situation. That's, that's terrible. Yeah, and then um, my mum didn't know much about it. My brother would – he would spend, like, lunchtime on his own in the bath in the cubicle, one of those 
cliche yeah. bullying like stories. Like something out of a movie. Exactly. And and for me, I didn't I didn't get bullied to that. I wasn't bullied, luckily, in in high school and growing up. But my if if bullying took on many forms, probably would have been from my teacher, if anything. Um, mm. Yeah, she would you know, make me do the dictation upside down. Like there's, that's a whole nother story. What? I know. And then like, <laughs> she would like, there was one time she like grabbed my arm and I was holding a glue stick. Cause I was like, so I was like having a good time gluing down my paper. And then she was like, okay, we're, we're going to the library. And then I was still gluing my paper. So she like grabbed my, my arm so hard that I let go of my, my favorite glue stick. I will remember that moment. It was my favorite pink glue stick and it landed on the carpet and there was like fluff on the, on the glue when I went back to, anyway. I know it's, oh, it's poor <laughs> my poor I glue stick. I feel the trauma. It's, it's coming through. <laughs> From my, my glue stick. Um, but yeah, she like grabbed I, my I'll hand. I'll buy you another one if it makes you feel better. Thank you. You're welcome. I know exactly what brand it is as well. Which, what is it? Actually, I lied. It's it's the it's just the blue one. B L U. But you know, blue. But stick. it was it was like a special limited edition because it was pink. Okay. Yeah. Anyway, I don't think we can buy it here anymore. Interesting. And I don't use glue sticks anymore, Dean, but thank you. Maybe <laughs> sure. sticky tape or something. But anyway, so um, she like grabbed my arm and it, and it left a mark on my arm. And at, up until that point, I wasn't communicating with my parents that this was happening at school because I didn't, I didn't know. I thought this was the norm. Um, and yeah, then my mum realised what was happening at school. Um, and as, as parents, as you would understand... They were kind of like revising their whole um, purpose in life. They were like, we work so hard to what? To, to send our children to a public school so that their teachers can bully them. Like that's, you know, we've got to, just because we can't afford private school doesn't mean that they shouldn't, like we shouldn't rob them of the opportunity of going to a private school. And this is what I mean by my brother and I were just so privileged growing up to have parents like my parents. Not that we came from wealth, but wealth in the sense of love and mm. so they ramped up you know their work and they were like their their purpose became even more profound and long story short we went to hills grammar at a pretty early age and and hills grammar is a very very good school and um and this is the thing for me as well in the future when when i have children and all that i think the school component is really important because it's not the education piece, it's the proximity piece. Yeah. Because you're not going to be their greatest proximity during their schooling years. Their peers will be and their teachers will be because that's where they spend most of their time. That's where you're sending them. And if your um, proximity is not good, then that got, that's going to seep into your children's development. And so, um, yeah, that was really important for my parents. We went to Hills Grandma and my brother and I, yeah, we had good friends and it just made such a big difference to our upbringing. And I think if I didn't have that opportunity, I'd be a completely different person today. Um, mm. So so I think on, on that as aspect, schooling, is a, that is a very important part of schooling for kids. And um, from that experience, it's, it's, it's a big goal of mine to be able to send my, my children to a school that has good proximity. Um, and proximity is the main thing for me. The education is definitely important but their friends and f their friends' families and, and all of that. And that's um, like my, you know, so my philosophy, every single time someone says, oh, but, you know, how are you going to afford that? You know, oh, you know, it's going to be this much or it's going to be too expensive. Yeah. Uh, how can mm. you how can you budget that? Like that's an extra $5,000 a month, blah, blah, blah. And they're like, there's, there's, they're full of just reasons not to do it. But that's the key question, right? How? 
ask them back exactly it, it's about like what can i what what it's not what i can't afford it's how can i afford it correct so for me i'm just like i'm just gonna go make more money exactly and they're like oh but you know like there's so many limiting beliefs that these people proximity impose on you proximity and you know what can i tell you I, I, I did share this on um i think it was with tony on on the podcast as well for those listening they know who tony is because i'll be re- listening to all these through but you know, even my youngest daughter, Mila, she is loving the business, the sales type oh, side of things. I love that. She's only four. She turns five Aww. next month. But she's only four. We, uh, we go, we're selling these raffle tickets. We're going around. She actually developed her own sales pitch. So, your little four-year-old Mila, and I thought, you know what? Nothing could go wrong here. Um, she is going to do a better job selling these raffle tickets. We're selling flowers at like a flower market. This is like back in July. And so, yeah, we're at, a, yeah, sorry, we're at a, like a Sunday market selling flowers and she's sitting there and we're doing a raffle ticket. We're giving away these beautiful Colombian roses. And she walks around selling raffle tickets for $5. And she's, she's gone. I told her only three things. I said, come around with dad. We'll go together and I'll help you. I'll tell you what to say. Number one, would you like to join our raffle? Tickets are $5. We're giving away flowers. They're the three things, right? So she, she started building your confidence, just doing one, two, and three. And I thought, yeah, beautiful. And then, oh, man, sales started just ramping up. Let me tell you, she, she sold more raffle tickets than I did. Believe me, right? I, <laughs> I believe you know. that. I, I believe that. <laughs> and listen, I sell sand to Arabs. You know, people say you sell ice to Eskimos. I don't know about you. I've never met an Eskimo in my life. I, <laughs> I can sell sand to Arabs. She did better than me. You Aww, know what I mean? That's so sweet. And that, that sales pitch that she developed for herself, like I said, no, no pointers. No, I didn't indicate anything to her. She just turned around to this lady while she was looking through a purse. He goes, do you have flowers at home? And then, you know, she's like, oh, no, I don't actually. She's like, why not? <laughs> Ask, like, ask the question. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And then she's, and the lady's like, oh, because uh, I haven't bought any. She goes, well, you should buy some. Tickets are just $5. <laughs> like, like oh. and she said that with so much conviction. I love that so you much. You know what I mean? And oh. I was just like, yes, that's my girl. You know what I mean? You were you so go. proud. I was, I was the proudest dad yeah, of Yeah, you're like setting me. You're like, what did you just say? I, yeah, I'm, I'm sitting <laughs> I'm like, you like, 10 more years you're working with me. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, I'm going to bring you in. We're going to start. You're going to send the invoices. You're going to do sales. Yeah, for sure. You know what I mean? She had conviction in her product and what she was selling. Yeah. And it all came natural to her. Yeah, yeah. Oh, she was so confident. probably your trait that you passed out. Maybe, maybe. <laughs> you're like, you know what? Yeah. I'll take that credit. <laughs> yeah, yeah, 100%. So, and yeah. like, that, that's it. Like, so I'm just, I'm looking at her and I'm like, yes. Yeah. You know, and it is proximity. Yeah. And so, and like, for me, I, I feel like, the the impact that I do need to have on my kids is going to be an entrepreneurial one. Mm. I think, you know, showing them that, you know, the sky's the limit. Mm. I want them to know that, you know, the cost of living wasn't a challenge because dad didn't care what it took. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And I just, you know, just the last episode before this, I had Michael Hazilius on the show and he's talking about, you know, how um, – your your dollar is depreciating daily, mm. monthly, yearly. It's depreciating. So whilst inflation is rising, the value of your dollar goes mm-hmm. down. So when you start getting paid more money, mm-hmm. you think you're getting paid more money, but mm-hmm. the cost of living situation doesn't change mm-hmm. for you. Do you know what I mean? 
And so then there's this whole theory behind it. And so I really want my kids to know that their future knows no bounds. I really want them to go mm -hmm. through life understanding. And I think so where, where my proximity with them needs to be is teaching them about looking outside of the box, stepping outside of, of the house, the circle, the, mm -hmm. the limitations, the bounds, mm. and exploring, you know what yeah. I mean? Yeah. Like, I mean, if we're going to sidetrack a little bit on the whole entrepreneurial conversation, I, I think that the title entrepreneur and being in business is the best way. And because I'm in business, I'm probably a little bit biased. Um, but I think it is the best way to develop um, yourself, the self-help. I think being in business is literally like carrying a big mirror in front of you. Because you're just constantly reflecting on how you could have been better in that situation. How could I have made that decision quicker? Or how could I have um, handled that mistake? Or what's the solution? It's this constant, you, you, can't, you can't go, you can't build a successful business without constantly self-reflecting on how you could be better in, in any situation. Because business is, is fast move, moving, you know. Can I tell you how convinced I am that I, let, that I live and breathe the entrepreneurial spirit? And I know that and I can see that, you know. Let me tell you, on my children's birth certificates, okay, so you, I don't know if you do know this or not, but you have to state your occupation for births, deaths and marriages you when put, you're registering a birth certificate for your child. Okay. Mine says entrepreneur. I love that. Both my daughters. I love that. Birth certificate. It, it goes beyond just the professional side of entrepreneur. It's, you know, it's what, a deep delve into who you are. What happens like five generations from now where they're trying to track it all back? Mm. We, we've, we've given our time to this earth and we've moved on. And they go like, oh, I wonder what my great-great-great-grandfather was like. Well, what did he do? And then you're like, holy shit, there's Forbes articles. There's, yeah, you know what I mean? Like yeah. there's now there's all these things about, um, you know what I mean? We're talking 200 years yeah. from now. Oh, wow, they were an entrepreneur. It says entrepreneur on his, on his mm -hmm. death certificate and mm -hmm. birth certificate and, you know, on, on the children's certificates, et cetera. Yeah. And so that's, that's ultimately what I look at too is like is that legacy. Yeah. Who, who are my my descendants, you know, five generations sure. from now, what, what do they know about For me? Sure. And you know what? What's that generational, that generational influence that I have? Is my great, great, great granddaughter or grandson mm. going to look at their great, great, great grandfather and say, you know what? I want to be like him. Yeah. Because you talk about, like, for example, your uncle and, and your dad and your yeah. mom and what they went through. And then I'm sure you're going to make sure your kids know. Uh -huh. And then so your kids then grow up saying, yeah, this is this yeah. is the example that needs to be set and keep that tradition, Ooh. you know? Yeah, 100%. Like, you're leaving a legacy behind. And and for me, it's like the entrepreneur thing. It's um, It's not about what we achieve. It's who we become while we're achieving it, whether we succeed or we fail. Because you could, you could, Jim Rohn is amazing. I love Jim Rohn. Um, and, and he talks about how you can make $10 million and um, lose it in 12 months after that. But losing, the, the whole process of making, being able to reach 10 million, then losing it doesn't decipher who you are as a person. Yes, you lost the $10 million, but you were also the person that knew how to make $10 million. So you became the person with the disciplines, with the decisions, everything else that came came with the $10 million to know, to become that person that knew how to make the $10 million, if that makes sense. Absolutely. So, so you can lose the $10 million at any point, 
but you also know how to how to do it again. Correct. And and even better because you would have had a lot of lessons losing it. Um, other than, whether that be 10 million, 20 million. So it's so much more about who you become than what you achieve and, and yeah, or everything else that comes with entrepreneurship. I think that's what it is. And um, my, my mentor, Aaron, mm-hmm. um, he, he talks a lot about not generational wealth, but generational wellness. Um, it's the legacy that you leave behind, the teachings that you leave behind, mm. um, and your children, your great grandchildren, um, are they the people that has the mindset, the resilience, the tenacity, the work ethic, the personality to make it work? Not do they have the resources to make it work? Resources are, are things that you know. If you want it bad enough, you can find it. That's right. Yeah, but. Who you be, if your focus is just on your resources and what you're trying to achieve, you're missing the whole point. You're missing the substance behind being an entrepreneur. And that's I, exactly right. And that, I think that's why you, you and I probably share the same passion about business and being an entrepreneur. That word is so diluted nowadays, I think, entrepreneurship. But it's, it's not like I'm, I'm the kind of person that likes to start 10, 10 businesses. It's not that. It's I am the type of person that can – that can build 10 purpose-driven businesses. Um, Absolutely. And, if, and it's the mindset behind it could fail. It really could. But It's the I don't give a fuck attitude if it does. It's I don't give a fuck. Doing. Exactly. Because I, there's a purpose behind what I do, not just behind the business, but me. That's right. Yeah. So, yeah. Entre- yeah. Anyway, I can talk for ages about being a business owner, which is why I'm so passionate about business as well. And I'm sure you are too. Um, it's just, it's so encompassing. It is. Yeah. And what we're going to do, Selena, we're going to go for a bit of a short break here and let's get stuck right back into business. So guys that are listening, we'll be right back with you very shortly, right after this ad break. First and foremost, before we get into our ad break, I just want to say to each and every single one of you how grateful I am that you guys tune in and listen to each and every one of these podcast episodes. What I'd really love from you, if you haven't already, is to subscribe to our podcast on Spotify as well as hitting the bell icon so you never miss a new episode. Now, I wanted to talk to you guys about a really cool opportunity. And that opportunity is a brand new program that has been brought out by the Launch Day podcast and it's called the Amplify program. The Amplify program is highly focused on building your personal brand. The two things that you're probably looking for in building your personal brand is credibility, authority, trustworthiness. There's some really, really big ones. And podcasting gives you that that opportunity, right? So being part of a podcast will give you authority just by the look of being on a podcast and being in that setup. Now, how we further enhance that as well is, and this is another big problem that a lot of you will have, is content. Content is a tricky one because I know all of you out there are sitting there scratching your heads thinking, how do I post videos every single day about me, about my business? It's really hard. With our Amplify program, we actually give you 180 videos across three months 
from our podcast interviews. That's really important, 180. So you can post two per day for three months or you could post one per day for six months. That is so much content and it's going to solve a lot of problems for you when it comes to growing and scaling your presence online. Not only that, but you also get a mini personal brand photo shoot as part of our program as well. So you can further enhance your profile and get ready for it. The icing on the cake You also are guaranteed to be featured on publications such as Forbes Australia by being part of our program. If this sounds like you and someone who wants to get all of this credibility, authority, trustworthiness through 180 pieces of content, a personal brand photo shoot, doing a podcast, as well as being featured in places like Forbes Australia, then give us a call, give us a shout head on over to launchday.au, so that's www.launchday.au, or you can call our office directly. It is plus 612-9055-8088. And we're back from our break. For us, it was about 10 minutes. For you guys, probably about 30 seconds. That has gone by. Um, that's just stuck right back into us, Selena. There's so much to talk about, such little time. Mm-hmm. Tell me about your business journey, you know? And, and you know what? I think there's something that I really want to know is when did you start realizing you had more of an entrepreneurial spirit in you? I know you've got the history of that in the family. When did you start realizing that you were going to be an entrepreneur as well? There's definitely, there's two parts to this question. Um, I always knew it throughout uni. Um, the thing with throughout uni was you, my proximity wasn't business. So I was, um, I knew that it was always business, but how and what wasn't there. Mm. Um, so I'll, I'll get into that in a bit. But the second part to your question is if I was to say true entrepreneurship, I would say this year, even though I've been in business for six years, seven years already, mm. but true entrepreneurship is a, has, holds a different meaning to me now than it did six years ago when I started in business or nearly seven years ago. Um, so, so yeah, that, that's probably, wait, what was the question? <laughs> I love it. So there's, okay. So there's, there's two parts to the question. Let's cover the first part first. When did you start realizing mm-hmm. that you were going on an entrepreneurial yeah. journey? And I'll, I'll, I'll go on just to make it easier for you to, to maybe gauge where I'm going with this as well is when I was in primary school, I was selling CDs. Like I I would go to school with a list of movies Mm -hmm. and say, yep, $5 for this movie. And Mm -hmm. then I would go home, burn the disc, and then bring it back to school for the five bucks. True businessman. I was eight. Business boy. Yeah, I was eight, (laughs) right? Um, And then from that, I was selling fart bombs, got detention, realized that's not a good thing. Started (laughs) selling these like Scooby bracelet things. The colors of teen colors. In high school, different story. I realized there was a very unique opportunity to Mm. sell cigarettes in high school. Mm -hmm. And because everyone got caught with the packets because they were so bulky. Mm -hmm. Um, And if they got crushed, then they were screwed. I started rolling rollies like paper thin, like a (laughs) lollipop. How old were you? Oh, like. 15, oh yeah. Gosh. So I was rolling rollies yeah. um, the size of a bloody lollipop stick, selling the benefits. If a teacher comes around, 
two fingers, lick your, lick your lips, bang, and then put it out that's and then so light it back up when they're gone. Oh, that's so cute. <laughs> I, was, I was doing like 250 bucks. Wow, that's amazing. Selling them for a dollar each. See, that's true entrepreneurship. Like that was innate to you. Yeah. Yeah. Unfortunately, I didn't have any cool stories like that. I was just a standard student doing what I'm being told, except for like I got detention a lot because I always like to have my hair down. But anyway. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, so I graduated um, high school in 2013. We have no hair down policy too, by the way. No hair down policy? Yeah, you got to tie it up. I have tied up. No, I'm kidding. Go on. <laughs> Tell me. Um, 2013 was when I graduated high school. Um, didn't really know what I wanted to do in uni. Actually, I did know, except my parents were like, we don't think that that's a path you should go down. Um, so I, one of my greatest loves is animals. Like I've always loved animals. Like, you know, so like, for example, like, you know, first memory when I went fishing, I, I first time I saw a fish on, on the hook, on a hook, and it was bleeding a little bit. And that made me, I remember crying about, about the fish on the hook. And my dad was like, what's wrong with you? <laughs> like, it's just a fish. But like before I even knew what the word compassion meant, I think seeing the fish on the hook was like, it just wrecked my heart. Like, and, and that was when I was four years old or something. So growing up, I've always been really fascinated and I've always had a very deep love for, for animals. Um, so I always thought that a studying vet was what I wanted to do. And to this day, if someone asks me, if you were to go back to study, what would you do? And it would still be vet. Um, but I ended up not going down that route. Um, I ended up doing a double, so commerce, major marketing and psychology because um, that's another big part of my interest, the mm. human psych. Yeah, um, I like that. So I, I, I spend a lot of time in marketing psychology. Right. So I spend a lot of time, you know, what is it that uh, – so in all of my – the way that I pitch a lot of business for the marketing side of what I do – is I, I always pitch emotionally striking marketing. Mm. And it's, you know, how do you emotionally strike someone? And the question you have to ask, for example, do you have a car? Mm -hmm. you have insurance? Mm -hmm. You pay for insurance? Mm -hmm. Why? Why? Yeah, why do you pay for insurance? Uh, to have you, to have cover you me. Have an accident? No. Right, so why do you pay if you haven't never had an accident? In case. Ah. Did you say that's an emotional decision? No. Are you scared of hitting a Lamborghini and being out of pocket two hundred thousand dollars? No, actually, I've never thought about that. Maybe but, not but consciously. I mean, yeah, not consciously. Yeah, but you know, how would you feel if you hit a Lamborghini? You had no insurance. Yeah, it would. I mean, the first thing you think about when you hit something is insurance. Yeah. So. Fearful. Yeah. Would you say that's probably an emotion that kind of fleets past mm -hmm. being fearful? Mm -hmm. Right. So, insurers worked that out a long time ago. Is mm -hmm. that make people make? Purchase will have higher purchase intent when they're emotional. Mm -hmm. So a lot of the time is when they're emotionally connected to what it is that they're mm, buying. For sure, they have higher purchase intent. Yeah, hundred percent. That's like the whole um, sales pitch: is that you want to get your your client or your consumer in the green side of your brain. So it's like the red side and the green side, and you ask them a lot of yes questions, get them to answer yes. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. You're triggering the that emotion absolutely and so then that's where i say like i find it interesting you've studied the marketing and the and also the psychology component and yeah it's like it's because there's a lot of that that goes into running a business yeah for sure yeah. It's, it's so um important especially now um yeah so i actually i did that double degree not because i'm like you know psych and marketing kind of marries well into each other mm. but now now that we're talking about it um and coming out of it 
it definitely does. But at the time it was, you know, I like the idea of business and I, and I also love psych. And that's why I did both, not, not because of the combination, although now it is, but at the time it was just two different interests. Could you imagine you might have, because you had a love for animals and you really liked psych, imagine you were an animal therapist. I'm not talking about bringing an animal. To it's help like people. that whole. Maybe talking you know about animals, yeah. It's like that whole trend right now, the animal chiropractor. Have you yeah. seen those videos? No, I haven't. There's like chiropractors that crack like dogs' backs and, and stuff. Really? Yeah, apparently that's a thing. That's okay. There's anyway. some people out there that's um <laughs> okay. Uh, look, I remember thinking when I was like maybe nine that I knew how to massage dogs or something. Um, <laughs> Is that self-proclaimed? Well, you know, they loved it. They'll relax the you. <laughs> I, I'm pretty sure they had a really good time. Um, you know, I felt like they were really relaxed. I also had a really wild imagination. Right. I didn't think adults would be doing it now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what no. I mean? <laughs> but yeah. Yeah. So um, I did that. Uh, I took, what did I, I think I took, um, yeah, some units in summer school so that I could finish earlier. Um and after post-uni, I didn't know what I wanted to do. So I followed the, I was a sheep. I followed the crowd, applied for grad grad, mm. grad programs, big fours, banks, yeah, um, Unilever, <clears throat> all those. And I got two offers, um, but at the same time, this is this is the where my business journey started. I walked into this gym and it was so run down. The, the, the team was not optimal. Um, it was a gym that I was like this is not a gym that I would ever sign up to and at the time by the way so I was I'm from originally from the fitness space like my my career started in the fitness space I was not a fitness head at all you know I was one of those kids at school where I would forge a note from my mom Selena can't attend PE today because she's sick yeah forge signature um otherwise I did like sport and I, I played sport growing up and stuff as well but like I wasn't one of those, like, I need to go to the gym every day. Every day. Exactly. Yeah. So the fitness space wasn't on the radar for me at all. But when I walked into this, because I, I, I was looking for a gym membership, when I walked into this gym, it was just, um, yeah, it was just not, not ideal. Mm. Um, and so my thought process was there is so much opportunity in this gym there's a car park right in front. It's um, located in a really, really good location. It's just not optimized. And so long story short, I acquired, we acquired the business and um, it was like a low, no money down situation. Mm-hmm. Um, give me six months to reach X number. Um, <clears throat> and then if, if I can pull this off, then I'm going to buy into the business. And long story short, I, I did. By six months, I hit the numbers. Twelve months, hit the numbers, um, and then I started paying the gym off. And I was twenty-one or something at the so time. Like, but the thing is, like, how do you get to that point? We've just gone from oh, I was studying marketing, psych, you know, doing a double degree, and then it's like, oh yeah, and I just had this this will in me to just go and you know, hey, let me turn your gym around and and buy into it and pay it off and take over it. The thing is, is like, you know. Like surely this, the, there was something in between there that that had some cogs moving, made you thinking about it. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I think it was the potential. It was. It just felt like wasted potential. Um, that gym was. There was just. It was like a ball of burning potential that 
wasn't nothing was being done about it. Um, and also I love people and I, I knew that this industry was basically just people managing. There's no inventory, there's no stock, no barely any merch. I mean, there is like, you know, vending machine products and and like shirts and towels and, and all of that. But it's mainly maintaining the um the gym, the physical space and managing people. Yeah. Um and your um like the the blood flow of the business is people. Mm. It's it's how many people you sign up, it's the retention rate, your how your team um, handles membership, sales, all of that. So it's just people managing at the time. And I was like, I can, I can do that. I think I can do that. Um, so so that to answer your question, it it didn't seem like a challenging business model, um, which is which is why I wanted to do do it. But how did you know that? I mean. At 21, having finished a degree, like you're looking at a business and you're like, there's no stock. It's just people. It looked easy from what the outside. Saying, where, where did you get all this knowledge from? Like, so if you look at the, if you take the average 21 year old out of university today mm. and say, okay, here's a business. Mm, proximity. Yeah. Proximity. Like my dad is a businessman. Yeah. Um, yeah. We're did all he business. bring you into the business at yeah, all? Yeah. 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 So, um, I should probably mention that my so my my parents are in have always been in the business space as well. Um, my dad dabbled in the in the idea of being in the fitness space as well, just because from the outside it's easy. It's just it's a, it's a space. Maintain the equipment, hire people, let them let it run by itself. Yeah. Um, but what they didn't realize was it's actually more than what meets the eye with the gym. Managing people is not, I think that's the hardest part of the business, being able to do it well. Yeah. Um, and if you're, not in the, if you're not invested in the business, no one else is going to be invested in the business. And coming from an industry where it has no correlation to the fitness space, mm. it was hard for them to manage. So I actually got into this fitness space also because of my family. Um, yeah, my dad was the initiator for, oh, the fitness space would be really, really cool. Um, so he did double in it. It just didn't work out for him. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. And losses move forward. Exactly. But then I came in. Uh-huh. You know, I love people. So I, I came in. It was very, very challenging in the first 12 months for me. Um, very challenging. I didn't know anything about business. I didn't know anything about managing people. I was so naive going into it. Imagine. Yeah. And I was 20. I think I was 22. I was 22. Like, what does a 22-year-old know? And I'm going into a space where there are so many, this is a very passionate space. Like everyone in the fitness space is very passionate about the, the niche, like the, the fitness space. I said fitness space like 20 times in that sentence. <laughs> but um, yeah, I was going into an already established team. There was uh, a manager there already, assistant manager and some sales consultants. And they obviously knew how to operate the business better than I did. They, um, they were more passionate about that space than I was. So I was literally just a stranger coming into the space saying, I'm going to claim the space. So the challenge was the silver lining of how do I learn from them, but also manage them and gain the respect as their newfound boss. Um, that was challenging for me. Um, so long story short, I walked in and... I, I spent a couple of weeks learning the whole thing. I went to, I flew to Gold Coast to, to learn how to run in a business and uh, the fitness space. Um, long, what I ended up doing was I fired more than 50% of the team because 
I just felt like there's a reason why the gym is in this state. And I found that there were a lot of things that were not done properly. Cleaning, there was no, there was no cleaning schedule. There was, um, there was no care factor for the customers. Very KPI focused. Just want to get the sale. Um, and I want to hit my numbers so I can get my bonus. The system needed to be audited mm. hugely because there was fake members being put in. It's just, it was just chaos. I could imagine. Yeah. So, so I went, at least I knew what non-chaos would look like. So I went in and I pretty much said, you're not right for this role. This person's not right. But you can't just fire on the spot. You need, you need a, in Australia, you need a reason to why. They, they shouldn't be on your team. And I remember having this one conversation with the, the manager at the time there. And he said, he made, he made a comment under his breath after signing up someone. He was like, oh, I hate people. I hate people. And then I was like, I want, like to the team, I was like, I want us to make an effort to remember everybody's name that walks through that door and make them feel welcome every time they walk in. It's, it's one second of our job. And it's probably the most crucial part as well, being yeah. in, in a, in a service-based industry. And he was like, oh, really? Do we have to do that? I'm not, I'm not a people's person. That was more than enough for me to know that in two weeks' time, in two weeks' time, you're not going to be in this position. Um, yeah. yeah, so when, he, when I terminated his, his um, contract, I had the option to hire another manager. But I chose not to. I chose to get my hands dirty. I assumed the role of a club manager, and I did everything from scrubbing the, the shower floors, changing the bin lining to signing up members, running the promotions. And I did that because I really wanted to know what it felt like to be in that position and what I can expect of my club managers and also hire better. Mm. Um, and also be able to resonate and relate to their stresses when something, what's, if, if a situation is encountered in the club manager position. Yeah. So I did that for 12 months and... Um, by that point, it was, yeah, it became easy for me and we hit our numbers. Um, our team became very in line with what our goals were for the gym. And for me, the goal was not sign up as many members as possible so we can generate as much money as possible. It was, mm -hmm. there is every person that steps into this gym is looking to be better. Yes. Either that be in their health, in their mental capacity, um, you know, maybe it's an escape from their existing lifestyle, whatever it is, they just want um, to be better. And I think we need to really align ourselves with why they're here, not how do we sign them up. Yeah. yeah. So every, I trained my staff to be very um, compassionate about everybody that walks through the door. And through that built, we built a, a big community. We built a lot of friendships and a lot of, um, of our customers, our members, um, confided in us as a team, um, and yeah, I quickly I quickly understood that my like who I am and my personality and how I conduct myself in the business realm of the fitness space is a direct reflection of what the community is going to be. So that didn't make much sense, did it? No, it made perfect. The the community is a direct reflection of who I am. That's what I mean. I understood it. Yeah. I knew what you You understood. Doing. And I'm sure everyone at home or on the car or wherever they might be understood it as well. Don't yeah. Worry. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. So, um, yeah, the community, my team is a direct reflection of who I am. When I realized that, it all changed for me. I doubled down on, 
on who I want to be for everybody else. Not just for everybody else, because that's not sustainable, but double down on who I want to be for me. Um, and yeah, once once that became clear to me, everything kind of flowed through it. Um, on the business front, though, the fitness space is, is a hard, hard industry to scale um, because there is a cap to how many members you should have per square meter of your gym space. Mm. So, you know, it gets to a point where it's like sardines in the gym and there's a turnover of people at the peak number of members you might have at a gym. Mm. And so to scale, you need to acquire another one and another one and another one. So you need to acquire a couple of territories to be generating, you know, whatever goal amount of money you, you might have. Mm. So uh, I had a second, a second uh, territory, mm. second gym, and I was very lucky because I had an amazing club manager there. Um, yeah, she's amazing. I can't, I can't talk more highly of her than, yeah, she was, she was just so great because she allowed me to step out and work on the business, not in the business. And because this location was a bit further away, it was like two hours from where I am, I barely had to go in. I could go in like once every three months mm. just because I wanted to, to meet, to visit them, not because I had to. Um, and then I, that's when I really understood the power of getting your business to a point of not needing to be in it because that allows you so much more time to do other things, generate other things, do the things that you love, which is I think what life is about. It's not just about work. Um, but I also really, really loved what I did. And um, yeah, eventually it came to a point where I had to face a really hard decision to sell my clubs. And the reason why I sold it was a couple of reasons. One, I realized it wasn't completely in line with with my heart and what my purpose is in life. Um, yeah, there weren't animals exercising. Well, there may have been a few, but... I mean, we're all animals, right? <laughs> <laughs> it's like, run. Um, but... That was the main thing. Secondly, I was renewing the lease, uh, reviewing the lease, sorry, and there was three years left. And if I was to sell at any point or exit at any point, it's now or never because three years is still somewhat enticing for new owners, new new buyers, yeah. um, and also um, a good time to kind of like negotiate with your landlords mm. and stuff. Can I extend my lease, blah, blah, blah. So an opportunity came up and I ended up selling my clubs. Um, and this is why I say that my entrepreneurship journey, I feel like it didn't really, really start until once I sold the gyms. Okay. So now. Um, so how long ago did you sell the gyms? August last year. August. All right. So between then and now. One year. So just just right over now. a year. Yeah. And what have you been doing for the last yeah, year? Yeah. What have I been doing? What have you been doing? Yeah. I mean, I took a couple months off to travel, really reflect on the last six years of business, um, mm what went well, what didn't go well. I mean, I can talk about, I can talk for ages about everything that I learned in the last six, th those six years. I learned so much. I think the biggest lesson that I took out of that was the fact that going into the business space, I didn't know what my strengths were or my weaknesses. If you were to ask me six years ago, what are your strengths and weaknesses? Which is a very common question and something that everybody should know about themselves. I had no idea. I would make something up. But I it solidified what I was good at. Um, and for me, it's always going to be tied down to people. Like I think my strength is within understanding people, building a team and aligning them with what's greater beyond the business, the reason why we're here. And that that's like your staff, 
your people, your team is the bloodline of your business. Mm. I think a lot of businesses are customer centric, customer focused, which I think is important, but also for me, more so my team. Like my, my customers or members or clients don't get to be as happy if my team's not. Yeah, um, yeah and I, I, wa- I would want my clients, my members to feel the purpose as to why we're serving you. So um, That's why we have Nora. Yeah, she's, right? she's amazing. Yeah, yeah. Nora she's makes great. everyone feel at home. Everyone For sure. feels welcome. Exactly. You know, she's just, you know, I've actually had comments because like, we, we do record a lot of like behind the scenes type stuff as well and we post it online and part of our advertising and things like that. Mm. I actually had feedback that said, oh, Dean, I listened to your part, but I just thought, who's this young guy? Because it is like I still look pretty young for... Yeah, <laughs> you do, yeah. Um, people still mistake me for 19. I go, Jesus Christ, yeah, I've got two kids. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, what did I have children when I was 10? Yeah. Uh, but, you know, um, in that situation, they go, oh, but, you know, having Nora in the business and seeing her face and just even her, her accent and how she talks just makes yeah. me feel like I can trust what you do 100%. More. It kind of brings you back down to, yeah, to yeah. earth. It's really good. And, and you know, what? like I've got this, I've got a pretty rock solid team. So everyone gets along really, really well. There's no headbutts. There's no headaches. Yeah. Everyone's pretty open with communication. Mm. They have a certain level of emotional intelligence. Mm. I have a rule um, for hiring, mm-hmm. a really good rule for hiring. Um, when I hire, and, and, you know, call this a stereotype, a stigma, whatever you may, but if someone comes in, there's two things actually. If someone has a voicemail where they say, oh, I don't listen to voicemail, so can you please send a text instead? Thank you. And they hang up. I, I don't even send a text because I'm kind of like, it's your voicemail. Mm. If, and especially if you're applying for jobs, you know, and you're missing the calls, you are going to get voicemails. Yeah, for sure. Right? Um, sometimes some of these companies don't have the means to send you a text because all they have is a desk phone and they don't want to send you a text using their mobile. Oh. So I kind of look at that and say, you're taking your career seriously yeah. because, you know, you're, you're telling people to send you a text. And yeah. You might be an introvert. I get it. Cool. No worries. But you, you're applying for jobs, mm. number one. Second thing I look out for, especially in women, is when I'm going through the hiring process, is the uh, them being disingenuous. Mm-hmm. When, they, when they come in and they go for an interview – and what you hear from them is, so there was this one time, but they, they have this different tonality mm. and it's just, you, they just you know, switch up, right? it's, you know, for a fact that that like, <laughs> and I sit there and I go, can you shut the fuck up? Just, <laughs> just speak normally. Yeah. What is your normal everyday voice? Yeah. What do you say to yourself in the shower? How you, however you sound like when you're talking to your mum, that's how I want to hear you. And so I found, personally, I found that people that speak like that, especially in an interview, tend to be people that have things to hide Mm. in their job and in their role. Mm. Something goes wrong, they're quick to blame someone else. So it was just, and look, there may be one or two that may be squeezed through the gaps where they're just just like that, but they are pretty genuine. Mm -hmm. But for the most part of my experience and having hired so many people in the past, my experience with hiring people that demonstrate those types of characteristics, they tend to have a tendency to lie, uh, to to have performance issues, 
um, to say that five o'clock is the time I go home and you can't call me any time after that. And it's kind of mm-hmm. like, you know, like, hey, we're, we're all on a mission to grow the company here and I want you to move up the ranks in your role. And what if I wanted to just call you at six o'clock and say, I had an idea, what did you think? Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. That's the kind of people I want around me where they're all on board yeah. with the goal of the mission. And they're fluid. Yeah. Yeah. Not, oh, I'm sorry, Dean, it's six o'clock. Um, if you'd like to speak with me um, tomorrow morning at nine o'clock, I have an availability. Who the fuck are you? <laughs> you know what I mean? Speak like, to my EA. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> hello. <laughs> oh, man, you wouldn't have this lifestyle, you know? Yeah. It's, yeah. It is, and it's it's kind of, that's my criteria. It's a, it's a good teller into, like, how they choose to live their life and what they want for their future, I think, how fluid yeah. they are. Yeah. yeah. One other thing that everyone else has in common in my business is everyone wants to do something surrounding philanthropy. Mm. So I want to start a foundation. Love that. You know, Nora wants to start a foundation. I love Linda that. wants to do something for, um, you know, homeless Vietnamese pets in Vietnam, oh, especially that. dogs. Yes. Oh, my gosh. I love that. You know what? I watch videos like dogs being saved to mm. bed. I watch it to sleep. It's just... So heartwarming. It's <laughs> brilliant. I you love know? that. And I, you know what this thing is as well is that I'm on board with my staff. Yeah. So no, know, I, we, I can tell. Every every quarter, every six months, thereabouts, depending on how crazy things are. But I sit down and I, we actually do an exercise where we identify what our goals are for the next three years, five years, you know, et cetera, and so on. Um, next one, so next 12 months, next three years, next five years, and where do we see ourselves and what are we doing? What are our life ambitions? We actually do exercises where I run through all my teams. That's so that's so good. What that is. Mm. And it, believe it or not, it's actually really insightful mm. because now I know, like, so a lot of people, and this is everyone that's listening, a lot of people reward their staff with bonuses, mm. right? Money. Mm. And sometimes money isn't what everyone wants. Sometimes people are motivated by a certificate. Mm-hmm. I, I, you know, imagine going into your next job and saying I was employee of the month for 10 times in a row, mm-hmm. you know, now, you, even if you're the only employee, that's fine, but you still mm-hmm. got it, right? Mm-hmm. It's something that's bragging rights. Mm-hmm. Um, what I found was like, for example, I've got one of my web developers, Vaughn, one of his, you know, three to five year goals is he'd like to migrate to Australia. Mm-hmm. Now, the only way for him to do that is that someone like me sponsors him to come here. Mm-hmm. And so I know for me that, you know, when I am speaking with Vaughn, a lot of the discussions that we have, especially when it's about motivation and stepping up and, you know, professional development and things like that, the discussion is around, look, Vaughn, I need to get to here to bring you here. Yeah. If you want to migrate to Australia, this is what we need to do. This yeah. is where we need to be for mm-hmm. me to be able to do that for you. Mm-hmm. So the conversation is centered around his goals, yeah. not mine, not just the business, but combining the business's goals with his personal goals. For sure. I love that. And that that comes back to what we were talking about before, like the whole compassion piece with being a human. You're, you're, you care about your team, about what they innately want and what matters to them. Yeah. Money is just a fuel. It's not everything. It's a fuel to, to the things that you get to do. And you, you would need some money to sponsor him over. Like it's all money is just the medium to, to, to do everything else that you love doing. And yeah, the compassion piece, understanding your team or your clients and what they innately, what innately drives them. It's not for everyone. It's not money, not just money. Sorry. Yeah. So yeah, that's really cool. And And then, you know, for some people it's money. 
And that's okay. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it, it's just different for everybody. But I think um, a lot of the times we kind of assume what it is. Yeah. Yeah. And everyone's, like I said, everyone's quick to go bonuses, money, yeah. extras, yeah. commissions. Mm. You know what I mean? And like, I don't think that there's any problem talking about those types of things with people. I think it should be spoken about openly. Mm -hmm. But if it's not someone's driving factor, it's not the it's first not thing work. Working, walking into in a yeah. conversation, you know. Yeah, 100%. It's not, it's not going to work for people that don't have money at the forefront of why they're doing the things that they're doing. So. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, We're on that topic of, uh, you know, you selling the gyms, right? So, what's, yeah. what's, uh, what's happened August up until now? What's, what's next for Selena Gomez? I mean, Tran. <laughs> um, the, the other thing that I really um, – the other thing that I do is property. So from 19, I've dabbled in property, um, first property purchased in when I was 19. I'm 27 now. Um, so I've been doing that on a yearly basis ever since. And um, really that, that was taught from, from my parents. They were like, property, property, property. It's, it's so important. Um, and yeah, so I, I got into that at a really, very early age. And I'm really grateful because... Um, it's it's pretty much been my financial safety net. And it's allowed me to do a lot of the things that I get to do today. Like, for example, what I'm about to get into, my the two biggest projects that I've ever started. Um, and yeah, I'm excited to get into that topic because that's where my true entrepreneurship journey starts, in my opinion. Mm. Um, there was a lot of there's a lot of entrepreneurial traits that I've learned from the last six years running two gyms, bringing it to a, a number three bringing it to a level where I didn't have to operate it anymore and it was, it was doing well, um, being able to um, produce enough cash flow to, you know, get, get home loans and buy property and invest and renovate and all of that. That was an amazing period of my life. Mm. Um, but it got to a point where it wasn't challenging me anymore. I felt like I wasn't growing anymore. And that's, that's a self-belief. Like you can grow through, through anything if you choose to grow. But maybe I was just starting to check out because it wasn't in line with my purpose. And my purpose has always been more on the humanitarian side of things. Um, yeah. I, I love people. And I think I've said that like five times, but I really do. And um, it, it, my parents' story, so this is where my, the context kind of becomes relevant of my parents' story, it just humbles me so much and it's given me so much perspective into how I want to live um, and to how I want to contribute and to my reasons why as to why what I was doing was me playing below the line. Mm. Um, it wasn't enough for me to be in a position where I can contribute at a scale that I want to. And um, yeah, so it's rooted in Cambodia where it all started. Mm. I went to Cambodia and I met, we went to some, some poor provinces and I met some children and we did some charity work and it completely flipped my perspective on life. They were so happy and happiness is relative, but they were so happy and they had barely anything. Um, but what, what triggered this whole purpose revelation for me is especially when I went to Africa to do the similar work, um, going into, stepping into their zone, into their world and their province, um, they were so happy to see me and foreigners. And it just, it was like, why are they so happy to see me? 
Like mm. I'm not bringing anything else right. They don't know that I'm about to contribute. I'm just stepping into their space. And they they greeted me with so much love and happiness and energy. Um, and yeah, I, I spoke to um, my, my mom. My mom was one of those kids. And she said that it's like a symbol of hope. When you, when you see a foreigner come into your space and it's all you know, and you see something brand new, someone dressed nicely, they're clean, they have the means to contribute, they want to help. It's so beyond me. My mom's like, it's so beyond me. I want, I want to, they're my role model in that moment. I'm living through them in that moment. I want to be them in that moment. It's almost like a little piece of inspiration for them um, and a window into the outside world. Mm. And it's such a small thing and it's not hard to do. So, um, yeah, I went down this rabbit hole of how can, how can I, um, how can I be more, how can my line of work be more humanitarian focused? Cause that's where my heart is. Um, yeah. So sold the gyms. That was a whole process. And I was 26 and then, you know, did a bit more property stuff, went traveling, a lot of revelations through me traveling and reflecting on everything. It was a really, really, um, really significant time of my life mm. for my self-development that break um and then i i am um, i became a, a mentee of aaron i got aaron as a mentor and i think that's when i realized a lot of things about myself that was lacking which mm. was self-belief i mean i believed myself enough to get to this point but there was more that i was not uncovering mm. imposter syndrome um I didn't believe, I didn't see my achievements as what they were. I saw it as less. Mm. Um, I didn't believe that I, these, these big business ideas that I had, I didn't believe that it was something that I could achieve because it was beyond me. I've never been in this industry before. I don't have industry knowledge. I don't have the experience. It was just all, just limiting beliefs crippling me mm. from being more. And breaking through them was a, was a whole process and I think it's safe to say that because since, I've, since then, I have decided to go full speed ahead in these two new projects. And the only way I was able to say, yes, I'm going to do it and risk, risk it all was the self-belief component, mm. the conviction and the clarity in my mission and my purpose. And the whole saying, if you're not afraid of your dreams, are they big enough? Because mm. I was afraid. Um, and the decision maker was, if I was to not do, because I was actually starting another business at the time, I actually ended up pulling out of that other business idea. I'd done a lot already, secured my suppliers, manufacturers, lost some money pulling out. But the decision to pull out, to do something very, very risky, very big, in my opinion, um, was the question of, if I don't do this business, it would solely be because I'm scared. So I'm going to play the safe route and, and do this other business that's a bit safer and never have explored that side, never have broken through my, my limiting beliefs because I'm scared or do it. What I'm scared of is failure, fail. Mm. Like what, what would be worse? The feeling of trying my best and having the courage to break through all of that and failing or never doing it because I was scared. And I feel like this option is, I'm just being a coward. Mm. 
mm. you know, and, and I have a greater purpose to serve in the, the, the short lifespan that I was given in this life. So um, that was it. That was all I needed to, to decide on. I wanted to, to do it with full conviction. And if the thing that I was afraid of, which is failing, is going to be the case, I would still feel like I'm winning because I tried. Um, yeah, and that's all it took. Pull out of that old business decision after the gyms. And I went full speed ahead with this one. So you're about to ask me, what are they? What are we? Yeah, well, it's, it's <laughs> you've been so secretive. These projects, these projects, you know, like, what, do you want to tell us? Are they top not, secret? Like, I what's mean, happening? It's not, I'm not the kind of person to um, speak about something that's not been released yet. So that's, that's why I'm struggling to, not struggling. That's why I'm, I'm kind of halting on it, but. Because I'm going full speed ahead, might as well. So guys uh, that are listening at home, in the car, at work, in the shower, whatever you listen to this podcast, uh, you know, it sounds like to me that you're going to have to go and jump online. You'll find out at the end of this episode how to, you know, how to get in touch or how to follow Selena on her journey. But it sounds like, uh, you know, being so cryptic, it sounds like these are some pretty exciting projects. If you wanted to, to learn more about, what she what she's going through and the journey that she's on and where she's headed, definitely go and chuck her a follow. But like I said, you're gonna have to stick around to the end of the show to find out where to contact her. But you <laughs> take it away. Go on. That's what's what are these projects? What can you tell us? I'm I'm excited. I'm pumped. So one of them I have to say a little bit discreet because I have some business partners involved. But the the one that I'm solely working on myself is in the fashion space. Okay. Yeah. So um, a clothing label is what I'm starting. How um, original. <laughs> <laughs> Run us through that. Well, like very saturated you know, industry. I, but <laughs> honestly, I've heard a million and one people tell me, "Oh, I'm starting, I'm a, starting fashion a fashion label. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You should buy my clothes." <laughs> you know? <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> That's exactly what I'm about to say. No, um, yeah, I, I understood immediately that I'm going into a very, very risky, you know, industry. Risky in the sense that it's very saturated. Not much has not been done. Everything has pretty much been thought about, executed. I know the failure rate of being in the fashion industry. Um, even the fulfillment, the, the manufacturing side of the business, um, that's a whole, like it's, it's hard. This industry, any industry is hard. But I think fashion in particular, there's, there's a lot of layers to it. And going into it, knowing nothing, no experience. You know, a lot of people were like, you're crazy. Like, why would you do that? You know, why would... Why wouldn't you choose something more like you're well rehearsed in the fitness space or something? Anyway, the reason why I went into this space is because I know that if you do make it in this space, there is no cap. Your, out, your reach to your audiences, there's no cap to it. And that's what I need because my mission in Cambodia. So, mm. so this brand represents my mission. Um, and my mission is rooted in Cambodia. Do we have a name? What well, do we don't have one yet? I do have share. a name. I do have a name. Can you share? Or you so it's, share? it's called Blank. Blank. It's spelt B-L-N-C. It's not yeah. launched yet. It won't be until next year. Like like uh, like Mont Blanc, like the pens? Like Blank. Yes, like okay. B-L-N-C. There's a reason why the A is missing. Oh, so um, B-L-N-C. Yes. So it's pronounced Blank. Blanc. It's called Blank. Okay, blank, got it. I was yeah. in French, right? Blanc. <laughs> blanc. Sauve la blanc. Uh, you know. <clears throat> so blank without the A. Without B L N C. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. So yeah. there's a reason why there's an A missing. Okay. But 
that is uh, the essence of the brand, which if you follow the brand, um, you'll figure out why. Cryptic. I like this. See, now, now you've got everyone that's going to be listening at home hooked. Like, can you just explain it? But no, <laughs> guys, you're going to have to go and find out for yourself. I yeah, like this. Yeah. I like this. The brand is more than just, you know, a, a label that sells clothes. It's um, standing in front of what matters to me, my heart, what matters to my family, why I do everything that I do. And it's going to be the enabler of what my passion and my purpose is. Um, so I've partnered with some schools in Cambodia. Um, and yeah, essentially, I, I want to give the children a window into the outside world. And we are the outside world. They don't have the same opportunity to access media, social media, TVs, computers to um, see what they can aspire to be. Yeah, like there's so many, um, you know, entrepreneurs now that are just starting businesses out yeah. of TikTok channels and they, yeah. they, they don't have it as that easy. They can't just go and start no. a TikTok channel. Exactly, famous, exactly. You know? But it's the whole, you can't aspire to be what you can't see. They don't even have the, it's not just the food, the water, the education opportunities. It's, they don't even have the opportunity to aspire to be more than what they're used to in their bubble. It's like the analogy, um, that's given about the fleas in the jar. Yes, yes. So they put the fleas. You know they what? Jump- Jordan Peterson talked about this. Yeah, yeah. Where you put the fleas in the jar, and it's only a small jar. They keep jumping. They keep jumping. They keep jumping. But then what happens is you take the lid off after I think it was like a week or something mm-hmm. like that, mm-hmm. and then the fleas have gotten so used to their environment that they still can't get out of the jar because. They've been limited by their environment that they're in. Exactly. But if, if you had them, if you put them in a fish tank, then they'd be jumping out of the fish tank with no problem or no effort at all because they'd be sitting there. And, exactly. You know? Yeah, 100%. That's, that's exactly what it is. Mm-hmm. You can't aspire to be what you can't see. But for you and I, Dean, in Australia, we, can, we have access to almost everything through a screen. We can Agreed. see... You know, we can see how amazing this person is and their journey, how they did what they did to get to where they are. Um, Or even if it's as simple as like watching an astronaut on TV, we can aspire to be more than what we're currently given. But in in Cambodia, there are a lot of spaces where that's not even an opportunity. Mm. Um, Yeah. What's a typical, like, so a student, right? And if like, if you haven't like dived in this deep yet, just let me know, but... You know, a typical student at one of these schools, what, what's, their, what's their future prospects look like for them? It depends very much on the kind of education that they get to receive. What are we talking about? Farmers? I mean, we're talking hard labor tasks for like 90% of them or? I think in Cambodia, there's a big disparity at the moment. There is a very, very poor area. And then there's also kids that have the opportunity to go through education. Um, so if we're talking the kids in the, in the poorer areas, they're limited to whatever their lifestyle is. And typically it's, it looks like, you know, the children going out to get fresh water, bringing it back to their families so that they can have fresh water. The trek might be, re- the commute might be really long. So that takes up most of their days, come home, clean, cook. They might have other siblings that they have to look after the family. They'll, they'll go out and sell some fruit or veggies, just, just things like that. Education is not even um, part of what they can have. And they don't understand the importance of, education even there's just no education component at all education is huge um but when you're born in into a lifestyle where it's it's been not never been a thing education and we just get by by doing the bare minimal it's mm. it's all they're going to end up doing so 
that's one side of it. The other side is like the kids that do have the opportunity to go into a school in Cambodia or their parents do emphasize on the importance of education or they see that it's going to be their ticket to the outside world. Um, their trajectory is obviously different. Um, how much they can dream to be is a whole nother side of it. And I think that's where I want to come in. And that's where not just me, but what the business blank will enable. And I won't get into the details as to the logistics of how we're going to achieve that because that will all roll out with the launch of, of the mission. Um, but essentially what I'm saying is blank exists for my purpose. Um, and it, it's aside from that, though, the garments that we're going to be producing, I love fashion. So there's going to be a street element, a feminine really element. I couldn't tell. But go on. <laughs> um, so there's a street element. Go. It's, it's basically women's basics. So all of the, um, they call it capsule wardrobe pieces. Okay. All of the staples that I'm I learning believe. learning here. I know nothing about women's fashion. <laughs> Tell me. I'll send you some pieces. Maybe you can rock them for me. I don't think so. <laughs> <laughs> but just essentially the pieces that I believe every uh, woman slash girl should have in their wardrobe. Um, and pieces that are easily um, dressed up and dressed down. And you can pair them with, you can make them look street. You can make them um, more feminine. You can make them look classy. Just the very versatile pieces that are well-designed. The quality of it is good. Because for me, the frustration in this industry was I found it really hard to find a fashion like a fashion store that has consistently good basics or that like focus on basics. I know a lot of fashion brands have their own basics line, but that's not their niche. So like... I just want to give an example in men's fashion, right? So I've got a pair of Chino pants uh -huh. and they've got this, uh, they've got an elastic cuff down the bottom. Uh -huh. What's really good about them, they're, they're really, it's a nice stretchy poly, like a poly cotton type fabric uh -huh. hybrid there. It's uh -huh. nice, really stretchy, really comfy. And so, but those, those Chinos that I'm wearing, if I went and put on a button up shirt and you know, in a coat and a pair of, you know, some nice white shoes, something like that. I'd look like a, yeah, I'd look like a bloody pimp, you know, walking around like I'm the business owner. You yeah. know what I mean? Mm -hmm. I could do that. And especially like, so like, you know, button up shirt and a nice blue, like mm -hmm. a nice bright blue with a red sticking out of the pocket, mm -hmm. for example. Mm -hmm. That would be really statement piece, really trendy. Mm -hmm. That same item of clothing, like that same pair of pants, I could take all of that off and swap it out for a pair of sneakers and a t-shirt. Mm -hmm. And I still look pretty damn brilliant. Yeah. So, so this is what we're talking about here? Yeah, that's the idea. Okay. I think keep it simple. Um, but yeah, I, I, drew a, I went to New York and LA and all that, and I drew a lot of inspiration from um, some of their major street brands. And yeah, it's, it's a really exciting project for me. Um, yeah, I also want to... Um, that there is a big sustainability component to it as well. Um, so making the garments good quality so that it sustains a longer life cycle mm. um, and choosing materials that are more uh, naturally sourced. Um, yeah, so so this it's, it's a big passion project. Um, and yeah, like I can't wait to share it with everybody. Can't wait for it to launch. Um, but yeah, it's, it's super exciting and... Um, yeah, it, it pretty much represents my, my purpose. So sharing it um, is a meaningful one for me too. It's not just a business I'm rolling out. It's, it's like my heart that I'm rolling out. Um, and 
yeah, that's essentially in a nutshell what it's going to be. Um, the whole process of getting it to this point has been a challenge and a whole nother conversation. Um, steep learning curves. Um, but yeah, another, I think there's a business side to everything that we do. Whether it doesn't, I, we were talking about this before, like it doesn't matter what industry it is. If you have like the, the whole business understanding, the business acumen, you can kind of get into any industry and make it work. It's about the people you know, the resources, how resourceful are you? Um, anyway, even even my mentor, Glenn, is a testament to that because he was a business coach. Yeah. One day decided, you know what, screw it. I want to start a cleaning business. Exactly, exactly. And everyone kept telling him, oh, no, you can't charge $100 an hour for cleaning. No one will pay it, blah, blah, blah. Look at him now. He's probably the most expensive you know, cleaner in Australia, me. right? So, yeah. But he's got so much work. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, there's, like, there's no correlation between. Zero knowledge of cleaning before he started. Same with me with fashion. Yeah. I have zero, I had zero, zero knowledge. I think that's something I'm a little grateful for because I've just, I've, over the last, you know, 12 years of, of being in business coming on 13, I've just dabbled in everything. Yeah. I've dabbled in fashion. Um, like I've had, because a, a lot of the stuff that I did was surrounding marketing. So I had the opportunity to expose myself to a lot of different industries so I was exposed to export markets and, and you know, um, selling Australian products overseas to China, Korea, things like that, Vietnam, Cambodia actually as well, did some mm. export there, you know. Um, and, and not only that, but there was things like builders and getting exposed to them and then learning about it. And like, you know, I didn't know what the hell a joist was mm. until a build, builder started telling me about it mm -hmm. saying okay oh, take a photo of the joist I want to really show the workmanship and I went what the fuck's that mm -hmm. <laughs> you know what I mean but mm -hmm. I was learning while I was there and you know like I said I've had fashion clients I went and, and and then I've also had clients where they were working directly with a manufacturer mm -hmm. um, in uh, Bangladesh for example and then I was dealing with the guy from Bangladesh who was manufacturing these and then so like there was there's just so many different like avenues of experience, alcohol, entertainment, FMCG. Mm -hmm. I've just had so much pets, you know what I mean? I've had so much exposure to all these different facets that for me now I've just like, I, I actually genuinely have the confidence that if anyone ever said to me, and you know what, someone did challenge me. My mentor, Glenn, challenged me one day last year. He said, Dean, you're so good at starting businesses. He goes, go on, show me, start one in a day. Let me know how you go. And I started a detailing company, an outdoor detailing company. So it was an outdoor cleaners, gutter cleaning, pressure cleaning, stuff like that. After one day, the, I swear to you, the business was set up and it, it, was, it seemed like they'd been around for 10 years mm -hmm. plus. Mm -hmm. The logo was perfect. Yeah. Like you looked at this logo, you were like, oh my God, like who are these guys and why haven't I ever heard of them? Because this, they look on point. It looks like, you know, someone who spent, you know, $2 million on a rebrand. Like that's mm. the level. That's amazing. Right? So I'm actually really grateful and I'm so glad that actually you're finding that confidence now that, you know, you can achieve anything that you want, right, and, and start any business in any industry. Because I feel like me just diving deep into that realm has is, is really given me that capability as well. Yeah, 100%. You know? It's like having a moment where you're like, there's no way I can ever do that. Because this is a business idea I've had for a long time. I have a little business, a, a little book that I of business ideas that I write down every time. But this has it. always been there, and it's always been one of those ones where I'm like, "There's no way I can achieve that." But once you break through the 
you know what, I can. I can, and if it's not me, then who? That's when that whole self-belief and conviction in yourself kind of starts flowing. Yeah. Yeah, and that's when the opportunities come because you see things differently at this point. Your perspective is is different. You're seeing opportunities rather than anchors. Yeah. So, um, yeah, although I know nothing, I knew, I keep have to say knew, although I knew nothing about the fashion space, it was my conviction and my mission, my my love and passion for fashion, um, my hustle going out to America and fashion capital Soho um, to get inspiration, talk to the right people. It comes through. Um, yeah, and that's that's one of the projects that I'm working on. The second one is a little bit more on the down low, but second one is I'm just as just as passionate about. I'm so excited about it um, to be able to um, achieve it at the scale that I envision it to be. I had to bring on some business partners. Um, that was a whole nother process for me, pitching it and um, having people believe in my my vision for it enough for them to you know, want to be involved and they're just as passionate about it as I am now. And that one's super exciting. So it's, um, it's in the event space. Watch this space. <laughs> um, and it involves a lot of the industry of what my family has been doing for the last 30 years. Okay. And I feel like this is going to be the key to the industry. Um, yeah, so I'm working on, on two projects at the moment, coincidentally together. Um, it's been a challenge navigating the constant switching hats with the different industries, all the different responsibilities in two startup phases of it. So you find that that's been a challenge for you? Definitely. Okay. It has been because I've had to up my time management game. I've, uh, see, I love this. I love this. I, I used to have that problem. Mm. Switching hats now for me is brilliant. It's, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a hard skill that you eventually learn. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, I think the, the best thing that I ever did was, um, you know, getting people involved that filled in a lot of those gaps that took up a lot of time, even early on. Mm. So I found that that was probably one of the biggest helps. Like the, the, I think the most advantageous thing I did was doing that. I just started looking outside more for help in yeah and even at the formation getting started getting up and running side of things so I, I i spent more time affecting my influence into the people and where the business was going even before it launched mm -hmm. then i did actually putting in the time myself mm -hmm. and that that's actually what helped me made switching yeah really easy because i was focusing on the really important part yeah well that's the thing that i found as well if you're so clear and in line with what your purpose is, and I know the word purpose sometimes can, can kind of sound cheesy, mm. but um, it's just so profound for me now that I, it's so clear to me. Everything else becomes just an avenue to get to that purpose and you won't really stop for it. If you're, yeah. And not a lot of people have the luxury to have figured out what their purpose is in life up until maybe a later, later point in their life. But uh, whatever journey we're on, if you're just clear with what matters to you, everything else is just an engine. Yeah. Um, and that's how I kind of see my projects. Every, Both my projects are purpose-driven. Um, there's always a greater meaning behind it. And yeah, I think the most important thing in life for me is contribution, family, mm. and love. Um, contribution, family, and love. 
they're, they're the three things for you. Yeah. So where, where does love, so we've heard, we've talked about family, we've talked about contribution. Where does love fall into place? Like what's, you know, what's that for you? I love this topic. I love the topic of love. Um, I just think that it runs, it runs really deep for me. Um, there's so many, there's so many contexts to love, right? There's the romantic love and then there's the, the family love and then the friendship love. Mm. And then the love for your passions and your work, your career. Um, but I, I feel like, oh my gosh, I feel like the topic of love can also sound really cheesy. But love is soft, you know? Love is kind. Love is patient. It's We're soft. Just, <laughs> <go> I know. <laughs> it's <laughs> soft. It's, it's the soft part of us. Yeah. Um, yeah, it all tracks back. Like, why do I do everything that I do? It's like my love for, for the people around me, people, the kids in Cambodia myself um do you feel like there's um like do you feel like you owe something to the to the kids in cambodia because of what your parents went through it's it's not the the owing feeling it's the it's the why do i why do i why do i get to live the life that i get to live and they didn't the only difference is luck i was born into the kind of i was born to into australia they were born there and we were both, we both, we all started at the same point. Mm. It was just our environment that was different. Mm. And the environment is something that we can affect. Mm. So I'm choosing to affect that environment. I was put into a very privileged lifestyle and it's a matter of what do I choose now to do with it? Mm. And I just, sometimes I, because I'm just so grateful for the kind of lifestyle that I get to live. I want to share that. And I know that I can. It's just a matter of the process of getting to a point where I can on a larger scale. And yeah, it's not it's not the owing feeling. It's the we all each as individuals can affect change mm. if we choose to. And what kind of change? That's I, a contribution um, piece of love. And this is you know when I spent a lot of time. Yeah, I spent a lot of my time volunteering. Um, like even today, so SES, RFS, things like that. And so for a lot of people, sometimes they don't, like they do the volunteer work and things like that. And sometimes they don't see the effects that they're leaving. Mm. I, for one, am very conscious of it mm -hmm. and I see it everywhere, mm -hmm. you know, and it's, it's even, especially with RFS, even right down, it's not just people, it's animals. Do you know what I mean? Like if you've ever had a possum clinging onto you for dear life, um, you know, you would, you would understand how especially in the middle of a bushfire and smoke everywhere yeah you would understand how appreciative that animal is there is you know see you know what i mean yeah. like, since seeing you they'd be so absolutely stoked that yeah there. and and in that yeah. moment you change you change the whole trajectory of that possum's life yeah yeah it's your choice it's you it's the fact that we have the ability to affect change do we choose to utilize that or not mm. and i feel like it's so important um, to be in the mindset of contribution. I feel like that's what drives fulfillment. Yeah. Um, yeah. And if we, if we talk about the romantic root of love, like for me growing up, my dad was the sole moneymaker. Like he, he carried the burden of the financial side of yeah. living in my family. Not, not the burden, that's not the right word, but the responsibility. Um, mm -hmm. And my mom, very traditional family. My dad was the, the finance guy. My mom was the full-time-at-home mom. Yeah. Um, that provided us 
the the warmth, the love. And my dad did the same, but not to the same scale, obviously. Mm. Um, and so there, in, in finance, in business, there's always going to be up and downs, going to be stressful periods, un, uncertain periods, um, a lot of self-doubt. There's all those periods and it's a very lonely journey, entrepreneurship, because mm. not a lot of people get it. But um, so my dad was was in that space and my, my brother and I were really young at this time. And growing up, I witnessed my dad carry all the stress, the financial stress on his shoulders, on his own. Mm. Um, and that's, that's pretty much what he's been doing up until this point. Just how do we make more money so that we can go on this nice holiday? How can we afford this? How can we live the kind of lifestyle that how can we maximize the kind of lifestyle that this earth has to offer? I like your dad. Me and him are very, very similar people. Yeah, I mean, you're a dad, so you could probably relate to an extent. I love him too. Like he's, yeah, I love him so much. But anyway, um, so I saw that growing up. Mm. And so I've always felt like one of my purposes, aside from the humanitarian side, is I'm at a point in my life where I don't have any dependents. I don't have any, you know, real responsibilities. If I wanted to live with my in my parents' house, I could. Like everything is kind of within my reach. Mm. I can affect how my future husband feels at work. He doesn't have to carry the financial burden if I step up my game now. While I can before I before I choose to be a full time mom. So for me, it's always been like, I'm going to work as hard as I can now. I'm going to see how, um, you know, how, what, all, the, all the things that I can create, create a meaningful life so that somebody else could be a part of it. Um, I don't want my future partner to have to go to work because he has to for money. Mm-hmm. Like I want to know that he's going to work because he enjoys it and because he loves it. And that financial burden is, is not, it's not burden. I keep saying that, that financial responsibility is shared. By that point, I'd love to be with my children most of the time because, you know, the first five to 10 years is the most pivotal part of their, the development. And I want to be there. I want to be the person that, you know, I know this is cliche, but because my I know that I'm not going to be their main proximity, I still like to know that I'm the person that they can confide in when they need me because mm. that's that's my window into the influence, into their, their lifestyle. Yeah. Um, and for me to be able to do that means I need to spend a lot of time with my kids, mm. which means I have to draw maybe a little bit back on all of my passion projects, all of my business, the business side of things. But by that point, I hope to be at a, and that's why property is also really important because it's working in the background for me. Mm. That's why everything that I'm doing today as well, aside from the humanitarian passion purpose, is um, so that by that point, I can step back knowing that I have contributed to my purpose of allowing my husband to I, I say husband like I already have one I don't but <laughs> yeah. um so that I know that he is going out there achieving what his purpose is not just achieving money so that he can fund our lifestyle because I've got you sort of thing and that's mm-hmm. that's another side of love that I think is important like how do I want to show up as a woman for the people in my life as a partner as a daughter as a daughter-in-law as a friend as a cousin do you think um, that could be challenging for you, like in terms of finding a partner? Because I feel like, look, I'm an extremely driven person. If my partner was the primary breadwinner, mm-hmm. I, I, I don't think I could do it. Mm. Um, do you know what I mean? Like, do you feel like it? Do you feel demasculinated? No, is it demasculinated? Emasculinated. 
Well, you know, so I wouldn't say that. I, I think, like for me, there's there's a journey that I'm on to be that provider, right? Right. And so then the moment someone says, "Oh, don't worry, it's I've got it. It's already good," I'm like, "Yeah, but that's my goal." Yeah. Um, and so that's your I, purpose. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And so the thing is, is for me, is like if I was in if I was in that person's shoes, I, I would feel extremely uncomfortable knowing that. Um. And and it is is because of like men want to be providers. Men yeah, naturally okay. want to be innately. Providers. You guys are providers. If you're making more money, if you're the breadwinner, et cetera, and so on, it, it kind of takes away. It does. It takes away from that masculinity. But but I know? think that's where your intent behind it matters because mm. it's not going to be a case of you and I are you know, both business people and we're both trying to achieve the most that we can and we're both breadwinners and we're both trying to be breadwinners. For me, it's not, it's not about that. For me, it's like, I want to be maternal. I want to mm. be, I want to be the mom and the wife. I want to look after the household. That's what I innately want. That's primitive, you know, yeah, and, you, and this you might be controversial. Your, you know, your, your mother as well, that was a direct influence. Exactly. Um, my role as a wife is not just looking after the kids and staying at home and cooking meals. That's not mm. the only role that I'm going to choose to have. Yeah. Right now, before I even have, you know, a husband, my role right now is to be able to affect the kind of lifestyle that he gets to live. Mm. So it's not about who's the breadwinner. It's about what kind of woman do I want to show up for my future partner? Because I feel like this is this is the thing that I swear by. Choosing your partner, your life partner, is the most important decision that I believe anyone anyone will make. Mm -hmm. It determines your trajectory, the, determines the kind of conversations you get to have, it determines the kind of learnings you get to have, the kind of person you get to be, the experiences you get to live, the kind of daughter you get to be, the kind of mother you get to be. Like that's, That is influenced heavily by the kind of partner you choose. Yeah. And so for me... I can't expect to be with an amazing partner if I'm not living those traits either. Mm. You know, it's really common for girls to be like, I want, I want an ambitious man. I want a rich man. I want a loving man. I want to carry like all of these, lo this long list of criteria for what they want. But the question is, are you yeah. all of that? I you get, know? I get where you're coming from too. And I like, I, I'm, I watched a, um, Oh, for the life of me, I can't remember which which podcast this was. But I was watching a clip where someone in the audience had asked, like, like, oh, you know, I want like an emotionally mature man, you know, and this and that, and I had this whole long list. And then like this lady was up on stage, and she's like, you know what, sister, you know how to listen up. Y'all need to listen up. Like she was full <laughs> of, you know, the thing you need to understand is that an emotionally, sorry, mature, yeah, an emotionally mature man has his peace and if his peace is disturbed in any way he is very quick to walk you out that door so if you want a man like that believe me he will give you the world he will mm. do this for you he will do that for you mm. but just know one thing is that you have to be on his level otherwise you're out the door and i'm just sitting like yeah you're like preach <laughs> yeah i'm like yeah <laughs> preach this you tell these girls you know what i mean like yeah. i'm pretty I'm pretty full on in, in that department, right? Like I'm a very big supporter of those, you know, people like that that are just kind of setting the record straight. Yeah. I'm, I'm, as tra I'm traditional as fuck. Like that's... Yeah. You know. I think there's something really beautiful about the whole traditional type of relationship. But, yeah. But there is a spin to it now. It's different, you know, we move forward. There's a di it's a different generation, different upbringing. Like there are, yeah, for, for me at least, it's, it's more 
there's more important things than just being the maternal side of the feminine. Mm. Um, and I feel like... Like what? Like like what we've just been talking about. Mm. Like right now I have the choice to just sit on my ass and wait for somebody amazing and then live my life through that person and be the, the mother. I, I mean, that's great. Like That's, that's also <laughs> yeah. great. Oh, I feel like this topic could be quite controversial. I think that's great if that's, you know, that's you and that's what feel, fulfills you. But for me, on an individual basis, showing up as a woman to my partner and to my family, to my friends, means affecting them in a in a positive way at any every point of my life and right now before i have found before i am with that husband of mine in the future um i can affect that change by working on what matters to me understanding the importance of how money can you know be the the avenue to what kind of experiences we can actually i was talking to my dad this morning a little bit of a sidetrack i was talking to my dad on the phone this morning and we were talking about very philosophical. What is the what is the meaning of life to us? And we, him and I both share um, love for Jim Rohn. We we listen to their podcasts together, and my brother as well. Um, and it is we we settled on the fact that it is the collection of experiences, the frequency of them, and the intensity of them. For us to frequently experience amazing experiences at a high intensity requires you know, work so that we can generate the avenue that we call money. You guys work that. on this shit. You know, like this is what I fucking love. Like, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm sitting here and I'm like, Jesus, I wish I had that. Like, you know, even with my own parents, like I have to have different conversations with them. Um, but, you know, like like if I could have like a high level conversation with, with them the same way that you just described having one this morning, man, I'd love that. Like just my head's just blown out of proportion now, just just thinking about it and you know yeah. visualizing it. Yeah, I'm I'm kind of open for that one day, to be honest. Yeah, just having I mean, that high level conversation of the impacts, the outcomes, the for effects. sure. And Dean, family is like friends is chosen family. You choose your proximity. So if anybody shares this this value with you and the the love for these kind of conversations, you just pick and choose who you want to get close to surround yourself with them mm. and grow with them like that's what that's what i that's why i always come back to like family is just luck i was just lucky that my you know my family is quite growth mindset but also friends like friends is chosen family yeah you know you choose and you can call them family if you wish mm. um but i agree i think these conversations is really important to have understanding mm. what is the meaning of life to you and I love, I love it. Like Jim Rohn puts it really well. Anybody listening, Jim Rohn is very, very cool virtual mentor to have. So is Dean. But, um, so is I, Dean. I, I'm joking. <laughs> um, but yeah, a collection of experiences, not just that, but also the frequency of the experiences and the intensity that you get to experience them. You know, I can't say I've listened to Jim Rohn. So you might have to send me some links later. I will, I, yeah. Like, you know, don't send me just the whole podcast. Like send me some specific Snippets. links. Yeah, for sure. Things that you actually genuinely. Really? And, you know, and yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. I think that'll, you know, like I'm always on a journey yeah. you know, for improvement. Yeah. You know what I mean? So any clips at any time related mm -hmm. to, to that, that kind of a journey mm -hmm. helps. Yeah. Right, you know, I'll help. send them to you. I think, I think you would love them.
I truly believe I would. I haven't seen them yet. Yeah. But I'll take your word for it. So, so Jim Rain is Tony Robbins' mentor. Okay. Yeah. Some context. Nice. Yeah. You know, I was actually, even like on the topics of love, relationships, things like that, I, I literally just watched a video um, from Tony Robbins that just, oh man, it just clicked so well. Mm. And, it, and it makes a lot of sense. And this is kind of on that topic that I was talking to you about. Do you feel like, you know, you being the breadwinner and, oh no, it's okay. Do you think that would be limiting for you mm. uh, in terms of prospects? Fine. Right. Finding someone right. that someone might not, oh no, I don't want to go there. I don't want that kind of gal. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, oh man, she's going to be bitchy. She's going to be, oh you know, but that's, you know, believe it or not, like yeah. I've, I've spoken to men, this is what they say. Mm. So they'll look at those characteristics and they'll mm-hmm. say, "Oh no, that's trouble." Yeah, because you kind of have you kind of have to be in your masculine in the business space. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So Tony Robbins, I love I love what he said. So it's now that you've mentioned Tony Robbins and Jim Rohn being his mentor, right? This is cool. To Tony Robbins, I think it was yesterday I, I seen this video um, on Instagram, I think, and he was talking about how no matter the relationship, you know, male female, male male female female one person has to be feminine mm. and the other person has to be masculine. Mm. So it doesn't matter which way you swing. So don't worry, guys, we're not, this isn't a controversial podcast. <laughs> we just state in the facts, right? No matter which way you swing, someone has to be more masculine and someone has to be more feminine. Mm. And then what happens is, is when, you know, you have stress at this, this happens and everything else. And then the female, all this headache and, and, and effort and whatever else that goes into their day is heightened they tend to be more masculine mm. and then that creates conflict because now you've got a, a woman who's more masculine or a man, but in this case, for this example, a woman more masculine with a man who is masculine and then there's conflict, right? Right. So someone in the relationship has to be feminine and the other person has to be more masculine for it to work. Mm. And if there's any imbalance in that, that's where conflict is mm. created. Mm-hmm. I, I know this damn right because, you know, I've had – in situations in the past where I've been demanded to speak to someone, right. uh, you know, a romantic partner. Yeah. And I'm looking at them going, I'm not talking to you while you're demanding to speak to me. Like yeah. If you come to me nicely and mm-hmm. say it, I'm, I'm cool. Like we can do that. That's mm-hmm. fine. I'm very happy to have a, com- a respectful conversation with mm-hmm. you. Mm-hmm. But if you're demanding it, then it's not going to happen no mm-hmm. matter what you say. And so, you know, I look at that and I go, you're being very masculine right now. And you think I'm going to respond to that? Like mm. men respond to, th- to stuff like that with, with force. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. Um, Jordan Peterson covers this a lot. So he actually talks a lot about how the, when you have two men that are, you know, that are in a, an argument or in some kind of heated environment, that they're just ready to, they know that the repercussion of continuing could be lethal force of, mm-hmm. of you know, a physical interaction or altercation. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, but see that when you, if, if a woman came up to me like that, I, I do, mm. I would feel very mad. Like you, you want to, you want to throw down. <laughs> you like, want to go? You want to play? Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, and yeah. I, I don't like, I'm like off limits. I don't do that shit, but like, that's the feeling. Yeah. That's, yeah. that is the feeling you receive. That energy you receive from them is very masculine. Yeah. And that's not, that's not a very healthy position yeah. to be in you know can I, can I give you my insight on on this topic? go for it I'm, I'm all ears so that's a, that's why like we mentioned earlier why love is so important to me because i believe that in conflict that's when our that's when you really get to know somebody yeah how they deal with a conflict situation conflicting situation mm. um and i really believe that if if it was two people in a relationship 
and they both deeply and genuinely love and care about each other, mm. their resolution will always be there. Because mm. I think in this day and age, dating, conflict, toxic relationships, I don't like the word toxic, but you know what I'm referring to. Significant differences. Yeah. They, in ideology. The conflict is not about, I love you, you love me. How do we resolve this? It's, it's like, what's more correct? But the thing is, if there's one person in a relationship that, that loses the argument, you mm. both lose. Correct. You're both losing. So I feel like if there's two people that really, really care about each other, it, it could not, doesn't have to be a romantic relationship. could be a friendship. You, my motive is to resolve the issue because I don't want to have this issue with you and your motive is mutual. Mm. So the resolution will always come about that. In terms of the, the masculine and the feminine in conflict, I don't know if that's really present in conflict when you both just truly deeply love each other. I think mm. it's like, I messed up. Like, I'm human. I'll mess up. You mess up. We both were brought up differently. Um, mm. I understand that. And I need you to know that I feel this way because of what you did. Mm. Um, but I, I need you to know that I love you. And like, I'm here to, I'm here to resolve it with you. Mm, mm, and they need to come from the same angle. They can't, it's the whole being defensive and no, like it's your, it's your fault because um, you reacting that way. It's not me. Like that's not loving. That's not love. You're, that, that's, mm. that's just, that's where the conflict starts. But it's about, okay, I messed up. I didn't feel like I did. I didn't mean to, and I didn't intend to mess up. But because it's hurting you in this way, I want to hear about it. And like, yeah. let's resolve it. So if, you're, if there's a mutual compatibility in how much you care about each other, resolution is not hard. Mm. And that's what I really, really believe. Finding that mutual love for each other is more of the challenge than the conflict. Yeah. And I think it's important, you know, so my tactic with things, with situations like this is, you know, to focus more on the other person first. So that might be, you know, especially like, I feel like there's a Jay Shetty podcast now, <laughs> <laughs> right? Uh, but, you know, focusing more on uh, them. And so it's checking in with them. Hey, how was your day? Oh, I was great. You know, I did this, you know, oh, what was bad about your day? Oh, nothing, you know, or this happened actually. And there was this lady that, you know, and then it's like, oh, okay, well that, you know, and having that conversation and leading up and then saying, you know, um, what, what's kind of, what's been going on for you for the last couple of weeks? What's any, is there anything that stands out to you that you want to work on or, you know, and having those like real, like, again emotionally intelligent conversations where you're just creating the space mm, and so you can that. have those mutual conversations yeah. without conflict yeah and then what happens is is so my tactic is if i know that i have something to say i will lead into those conversations to check in with them and see how they're doing mm -hmm. and then that generally puts them in a position where they would invite me to share mm -hmm. my experience however is that when I have shared, it's gone out the window, right. blown up out of proportion. Yeah. Uh, so that, but I think it's important, like, you know, to, to mention as well is that when I do, so if I, if in those situations, if I, if I did bring something up and say, hey, look, this was something that's been bothering me, mm -hmm. I also come in with a lot of reassurance and say, well, look, I, I know you're making a lot of progress. So don't you worry. There's nothing to, to worry about here. Mm -hmm. This is just more of, you know, letting you know about it. Uh -huh. So that way, you know, do with it as you will. Mm -hmm. But I just wanted to let you, make you aware of it. Mm. Um, you know, but everything's all good. Apart from that, I'm stoked. 
that's kind of what my approach would be in those situations. I think my experience has been when I'm being forthcoming, I'm not actually, I think the, because of the outcome that is created afterwards of, you know, whatever takes place thereafter, mm-hmm. sharing that kind of information, yeah. um, part of me, even though I'm still very strongly aligned with my values, part of me is now closed off in a sense where right. I'm like, well, after every experience yeah, I've ever had sharing, yeah. oh, it's just been yeah. thrown to the curb. Yeah. So, so now you're kind of like, how do I navigate a conflicting situation now? Because you, you haven't experienced the healthy version. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, and then if there is a healthy version, I think I'd feel really uncomfortable. Yeah, at first, at yeah, first, yeah, right? Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's, it's really, I think it's great that, I think it's really important that you continue, we continue to share what bothers us in a, in a loving way because mm. what people then often do in, in, for example, a relationship where they don't receive your, feelings well when you're when it's conflict mm. is in their next relationship or um in the same relationship for example you kind of internalize everything because you're like it's not worth the conflict i don't want to go through this i also don't want to hurt them through this um i'm just going to internalize the thing that's bothering me and get over it myself and that's where the whole attachment style comes in you know avoidant attachment style or uh, anxious attachment style um it's like how you adapt to your trauma in a relationship or your childhood and that's how you will conduct yourself in conflict because conflict mm. is our most vulnerable side yes yeah so that's where it all comes out so when when people are in that space like typically when they've experienced that kind of love in conflict typically we want to internalize our problems right and then we just avoid it and that doesn't do the relationship any justice or anything because what that also does because people are like i'm going to internalize my problem and that's a selfless thing to do because I'm not going to cause conflict. But it's actually the opposite, in my opinion. I think internalizing your problems in a loving relationship is selfish because you're robbing your partner the opportunity to show up as a partner as they should be and to help you feel better. Because if they love you, there's not one cell in their body where they, they want to where they want to know that there's anything bothering you. You know, that's the partnership. I'm speaking for a friend here. So in, in what circumstance then, right? I feel like you've read more books about this than I have. <laughs> but in what circumstance when they say that they love you, but they don't show up and they don't, you know, even if you give mm. them the opportunity, they don't take yeah. that opportunity to uh-huh. fill those gaps for you. So I think there's the, mo- what most people would jump to is like the question of, do they really love you? But I don't think that's right. I think it doesn't matter, you know. If they say that they love you and you're in a position where you also genuinely love them, you might have to be the bigger person and be like, I understand this situation is conflicting for you and there might be reasons as to why you're not showing up the way that I need you to show up. Mm-hmm. Compassion. So it's like... And I know it's backwards because in this in this scenario, you're the you're the one that's feeling conflict, mm. not them. They've done something to cause some conflict for you. But if they're in a place, if you genuinely love them, it becomes your responsibility to allow their love to show through. And if their love is not showing through, then if you if you can say that you love them, you need to be present with them and be making make them feel understood. I'm not sure why you're not showing up the way that I need you to be as a loving partner but I'm going to try and understand why you're not showing up mm. and I'm going to be there for you through that. But I also need you to know that this is bothering me 
So I'm going to show up for you and we're going to be here for each other. You're going to show up for me and we'll work through it. There's a lot of, there's a lot of, there's always going to be conflict. It's just, mm. it's the whole, Dean, it's a compassion. Mm. From, right from the beginning of this podcast, like compassion will help you, res- for, in my opinion, resolve everything. Absolutely. It's not just the word compassion. It's really understanding the meaning of what compassion means. Because we're humans. We all have emotions, good or bad people. Everyone wants to feel understood. Put yourself in someone's shoes. Yeah, yeah. You know, and, and I, yeah, I totally get that. Yeah. I totally get that. You know, and by all means, you know, I think maybe we need to start a uh, love therapy podcast or something like that. Seems to, you know, have a, you know, with love and relationships, not just romantic ones, family. (laughs) Sounds like there's a lot to share, right? So much to share about love. Absolutely. Well, look, Selena, you know, we're we're coming to a close. Uh, I'd love to keep on going. I know you're busy. I'm busy. Everyone's busy. Um, Our audience is busy. I don't know if they can stay for another hour, (laughs) right? (laughs) So... Uh, yeah, Selena, look, was there anything left unsaid? Was there anything that you wanted to make known to everyone that's listening before we sort of go into closing? It's like one of those situations where you're like, damn, I should have said that. Um, but for now, no. I'll probably drive back home and be like, damn, I should have mentioned that. But what's, what's something you'd like to share with people? Like maybe a bit of inspiration or, or hope? Um, I think... Find what matters to you and your purpose. Align yourself with it and act accordingly, whether that be through work, business, your relationships. Um, And the big piece for me is always going to come down to compassion. Like try and incorporate compassion in in everything in your interactions, Um, whether that be conflict or a happy conversation. Mm. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. Brilliant. Well said. Well said. And look, Selena, um, if there's anyone that wants to, to reach out to you and or maybe follow your journey, um, it's not Selena Gomez, it's Selena Tran. But it's, where, where can people <laughs> find you, Selena? It's as in like, like Instagram and... Uh, <laughs> like, so let's just say we had a million people listen to this podcast. Okay. Where would you like them to follow you? I'm quite active on my socials, um, socials being Instagram mainly. So my handle is Selena... MJ underscore. Okay. Um, yeah, that that's the main place that I'm at. That's the best way to, to reach yeah. out to you. And, then, and can people find out about Blank, for example? Yeah, so it, like it would all be on that page. It will all roll out on, on my personal page. Um, but there will be obviously Insta, Insta handles for Blank and the other business um, website and all that. But if you if you just follow Selena MJ underscore, that would all, it'll all be, it'll all be there. Fantastic. That's yeah. awesome. Selena, thank you so much for coming by. We've had a really productive discussion. I'm stoked. You're stoked. We're all stoked. Thanks, Dean. You're that very, was, very it was great. You're a great conversationalist and really enjoyed talking to you. Yeah. Likewise, of course, definitely. And guys, for everyone listening at home, uh, you know, if you need to reach out to the launch day podcast, he's actually a really cool one. Um, launch day. If you head on over to launchday.au, We've actually put together some podcast packages for business owners, for people looking to build their personal brand. If that's you, if you're looking at that saying, I really want to boost my personal brand, I really want to take it to the next level, have all these clips to share about who I am and my story, because that's what's going to sell to your audience, right, is having those unique stories that people you know, can relate to and, and follow you on, right, to be able to build that tribe. 
If that's you, head on over there. You can also email us at support at launchday.au. If you want to get in touch with Selena as well, you can also email that email address. We'll forward that email directly onto her as well if need be. And guys, we will see you again maybe in a couple of days, maybe a week, maybe two weeks. I'm not sure. But what you really need to do is make sure you're subscribed and you've hit notifications so that when the next episode comes out, you got to be ready to rock and roll and dive into the next episode. All right, we'll see you again next time. All right, well.